You can't make some people show up for work, and you can't get rid of others no matter how hard we try. And to join me in talking about all this, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you, he's the man who's never late for work, he's last, the great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again, and I approve of that message. Well, thank you. I would have done it anyway, but now that I know I've got your approval, I'll sleep better tonight. And I I don't know if I can possibly sleep any better. I will sleep the sleep of the dead after the week that we've had between watching these wrestling programs and I've had other things pop up and we've had more severe weather and Stace has been under the weather. And the... In in chronological order, since I have spoken to you, I've, of course, been signing action figures. We know that that's a thing that I'm going to have to do every day, regardless of whether I eat, bathe, or breathe. I'm going to be signing action figures. But then, you know, we, we've talked about Stace had, has had a bad back for a while now, and she had that surgery last spring, and it's worse now than it was before they, she had the surgery. And she's been going through physical therapy on that because the pain goes down into her leg. So she's walking around dragging her leg. She looks a little like John the Hunchback at the post office uh, just the when she's walking away from you. Oh, stop it. But no, I mean, I'm in all nice. honesty. I'm trying being jocular here. But no, she's had problems with the back. Well, then she came down this past week with an abscessed tooth just out of nowhere and her jaw swelled up. So Wednesday we had to take her into the emergency dental mongers. I guess they'd be dental gentlemen and gentle women, only meat mongers. And the, the fish people get to be fish gentlemen, but meat monger. Anyway, the dental gentle people had to take her tooth out. So then, and then get her back home and go back out and get the medicine and everything and make mashed potatoes, which is all she could eat for a couple of days. So she had to cancel her physical therapy on her back. And it was on the same side. The tooth and the swollen jaw is on the same side as the back pain. So the whole, she's almost like one of the feather bottoms. She doesn't have any function in all of one side. So then... I said, okay, now that we've got the tooth situation addressed, she had to cancel her physical therapy for this week because, well, it's not a good idea when you've had a tooth pulled and a blood clot your mouth and swelling to be exercising and raising your heart rate and bending over and shit so that, you know, so we've postponed that till next week. So I figure Thursday, Brian, what I was going to do was I was going to get some action figures signed. I was going to get some mashed potatoes made. And I was going to sit down and watch the week's bad wrestling programs, the Raw and the Dynamite and all of the things that, you know, we have to do. And right as I had sat down to turn those on, here goes the tornado and severe thunderstorm warnings. And the TV news breaks in. 
Oh, it's coming. It's coming. And after what we've had over the last several months, I pay attention to these things these days, right? So now they've got severe storm warnings for the whole area. It's darkening up. And I'll have you for once, we only got some pouring rain right here. It was the, the wind wasn't too bad and, and there wasn't any severeness uh, on top of the castle. But in Perry County, which ain't all that far from here as the crow flies, they had baseball-sized hail that they showed pictures of on the news. Imagine somebody just taking baseball-sized balls of ice and dropping them on you or your various loved ones or property from fucking however many thousand of feet up they come. It's fucking ridiculous. And there was a suspected tornado and there was other severe storms all around. So after that blew by, it was past seven o'clock in the evening. I said, I can't bear to start this now. So I, I got up, I did it on Friday. I'll have, you know, early. And which when, by the way, that storm was followed by record heat, record tying heat behind it of, uh, in the low nineties with a higher heat index. And just so you know, that it's going to rain again tonight and then a cold front's coming through and it'll barely hit 70. And now for the sports, the football scores 7 to 14, 21 to 7, and a partial score 6. Why wouldn't you talk about the Mets? Why would you go to football? It's baseball season. Because I don't know anything about the Mets. What are the Mets doing these days? The Mets are in first place. They're the best team in baseball. Who says? The statistics, the standings. Well, the critics, the newspaper writers, where do they get those statistics from? Where do they get those facts? Are those alternative facts? Who are you to question the Mets? What is this? Well, I'm just saying, who are we trusting to tell us how great the Mets are? How much local news do you watch? Do you see a lot of stuff about the Cincinnati Reds? Because it's a disaster. No, I watch tons of local news and I don't see shit about the Cincinnati Reds because it's (laughs) in Cincinnati. And when we've got our our river bats, the uh, the minor league or triple A or double A or world renowned, river world bats. renowned. Uh, I don't know what kind of battery size they take. Triple A, double A, whatever. Maybe it's a D D team. Is your river known for its bats that they name the well, minor see, league you baseball got, team after? Well, now, say, oh, hey, I'll have you know. Now you're talking about goddamn hallowed sanctioned ground in baseball here. When you're talking about Louisville, the home of the Louisville Slugger. The Hillerich and Bradsby Museum and Factory, they couldn't play that pansy-ass game at all if it wasn't for Louisville, Kentucky, so I'll thank you to watch your chicken lips. It's the best pansy-ass game in the world. It's the best. (laughs) They're all out there just (laughs) meandering around in a field wearing long stockings and grabbing their crotches and spitting on the ground. There's no contact. There's no... There's, there's nobody out there kicking anybody's ass. In I rest- say they ought, to, they ought to be able to take those Hillerich and Bradsby Louisville sluggers and, and fucking wail on each other in the final inning just to give people something to look forward to. Well, listen, I completely disagree with you. However, why don't you form your own like XFL-style baseball league? You're known for your mm. actions with a baseball bat as mm. much as Vince is known for his football Prowess? <laughs> Never did anything with football. Said he wants to have a football league. You should start the Jim Cornette Baseball Disaster League. <laughs> <laughs> the Baseball Disaster, the BDL. 
it could it could rival and you know if we got a, if we got the right television deal the rights fees i think it could take off do you think we could beat the blackpool combat club on the field I think we could beat the bricks off the Blackpool Combat Club because all they've got's fucking barbed wire. We've got baseball bats, and we know how to use them. I don't know. I bet Santana Ortiz and Kingston know how to swing a bat. Well, that's true. I would, but you, you can't know, grow up around here and not know how a, to swing a bat in a shooting fashion or a working fashion. I'll agree with you on the shooting fashion. I don't know. Oh, I'm not talking about working. I'm talking about trying to drive yeah. a ball three hundred feet. Well, they could drive your balls 300 feet up in your watch pocket with a bay. I don't know if either one of them can play baseball with a bat, but I bet you they could swing one. And this has been the sports section of the show. <laughs> <laughs> and, now for, and now for the general manager's point of view, here's Arnold Finster. Oh, God, and, and that's the only part I don't like about our local news. I like the WDRB news. All the Louisvillians will understand what I'm talking I like Mark Weinberg. On on the weather, I trust him and 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 his little protege Hannah Storm. I like Fallon Glick; she's just purdy as a speckled pup. But the general manager does the it's my opinion, and he's the biggest fucking dweeb that you have ever seen. He's a balding, crooked toothed milksop of a man who has a whiny voice and of not very valid of an opinion in my estimation so I, t I tend to overlook those what about your local news i've never seen that on my local news i thought that was something from the past you still have like a general manager who gets on and gives his opinion on oh yeah well and it, it's a station <laughs> thing because the previous general manager which who looked more camera friendly but was an even bigger dick uh he did them and then this guy came in i don't know where the other guy got sentenced to or what happened to him but this guy came in and he don't need to be on camera He's if he makes Alex Marvez look like fucking Johnny Carson. So it's a good perk for the gig. But uh, but you don't have the the in my opinion or the editorial comment on your local news up there in New York. No, there's a lot of things they have to cover. You can only get so many shootings into the show, and you can't cover things like the opinion of anyone who works there. Well, no, we got we got a three hour news block. They they give us all the news at least four times in a course of three hours because ain't that much going on in Louisville. See, we got here on CBS on the weekends on the mornings, and this is a weekend morning as we're recording. The show gets like silly. They got this weatherman John Elliott, and he does a good job, but he's always like out like at a flea market or hugging dogs, like always, just yeah, nonstop. Yeah, the, yeah, uh, say they got a guy Keith Kaiser, same thing. He goes around town and does the wacky. News cut-ins. He's in a ballet tutu, or he's taking martial arts lessons, or he's well, he doesn't do that. Sampling the food at the fucking we're not food as uh, truck downtown on the river. We're not as silly as uh, the news down there. It sounds a little oh, more WWE on. like the news over there. We're a little more serious with our uh, goofy weathermen. Oh, I'm and we got we got weather guys that that fucking dress up for the holidays also. Various things. You need to come down here and see some real TV news instead of up here in New York. Hey, when WOR was syndicated, do you remember uh, Lloyd Lindsay Young? I do not. He's but one I of my, remember one of Joe my Franklin. Favorites. Well, he wasn't a weatherman, Joe Franklin. Well, I didn't watch the weather in New York because I wasn't fucking there. But I'll tell you what, I used to watch one more news story. I've said this before, but this is my favorite newsman in all of history in Cincinnati. When I was a kid, I used to go up to Covington, visit my Aunt Lola and Uncle Tommy. And every night, every night, they would watch 
the Channel 9 News, and it would come on, and the announcer, the stentorian voice, the deep James Earl Jones sounding, 11 o'clock, time for the Al Shottlecotty Report. And now, here's Al Shottlecotty. And I'll have you know, 50 years ago in the city of Cincinnati, if Al Shottlecotty didn't say it happened, people didn't believe it. He had to convince them that people landed on the moon. They weren't going to believe it in front of their own eyes until they heard it from Al Shottlecotty. And then he shortened his name and married Marge Schott. <laughs> and, then, and then he got Shottlecottied. <laughs> All righty then. You know, now here's a special news report. We're actually we're going to do a charity fundraiser again here at, at jimcornet.com and the environs, which we haven't done for a while because of lack of time and not inclination. But this is a charitable fundraiser that has been concocted by my lovely better half, Stacy, and some of the senior cult of Cornet members that she uh, rides shotgun over on the Internet. And um, I get uh, Jeremy Bagley, jacked up Jeremy Bagley's involved in this. He's raised more money for charity than anybody since Jerry fucking Lewis. And uh, I believe uh, pretty boy Lee Petrie's involved. John Fell, he he got up long enough to get involved in this. They were brainstorming. Hey, happy birthday, John Fell. Oh, how old is he? I don't know. He's been falling all over the place for years. Is he old enough to drink yet? I think that's what's been causing his falling. But a happy birthday, John. But anyway, so May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And a lot of people in wrestling have been talking about this for, for months now. Well, it was last fall that uh, that Daphne committed suicide. And Stacy was real friendly with Daphne. And, and she took that hard. And and now it's, uh, the as I said, the month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And some of the... Girls on the WWE roster have been talking about this. Mick Foley, who also does so much for charity. Um, Naomi Judd, not just in wrestling. Naomi Judd just committed suicide. We heard about this what right a week before they were going to be inducted in the Hall of Fame. So anyway, to raise some money for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, which is NAMI, N-A-M-I dot org, which I believe, as I said, some of the other WWE talents and et cetera have been raising money for also. Uh, Stacy and the OG cult members have concocted the first official sin merchandise in 15 years since the Ohio Valley Wrestling days. Oh, wow. In the style of the I'm a Jim Cornette guy uh, t-shirt, she now is going to feature the I'm a sin guy t-shirt. And instead of my tennis racket, there's a devil's tail and a little set of devil's horns, just to get the picture. <clears throat> and if you go to jimcornet.com right now and go to the t-shirt section under collectibles, you can see these. They are listed. These are only $20 each. Uh, where it's, it's not like a limited thing you have to get just for the May Mental Health Awareness Month. We're going to have them for a while, maybe not forever. Order before midnight tonight if you can. Uh, but they're only $20 each. And 100% of the proceeds plus more will go to the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Uh, 100% of the proceeds from the shirts, we're buying them and furnishing them. All your purchase price will go. Jeremy Bagley has pledged, as they say, that he will donate 
a dollar for every shirt we sell, and then I am going to match the total of the whole schmear. So we've got the chance to raise, I would think, at least a few thousand dollars for mental illness for the Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, so again, it's jimcornett.com, as you all know. These won't take as long as the action figures. They don't have to be autographed. The Feather Bottoms are donating their time and their services free of charge to ship all these. So if you're a fan of the golden era of Ohio Valley Wrestling or the Disciples of Sin or the uh, various YouTube clips and things that you've seen when the WWE deems to release some of it from their archive, here's your chance to get your very own first official Sin t-shirt and raise some money for a good cause at the same time. And, and again, that's NAMI, N-A-M-I dot org that all these funds are going to be going to. And in the meantime, I'm still working, folks, on the last of the action figures, uh, but we're down to about the final. And I know some people are going to say, well, goddamn, thanks for doing me last. But we're, we've got about less than 350 orders that have been unfulfilled, and we're working on those as quickly as possible. And it, they are some of the larger orders now that involve multiple items, and we're getting those together, and we've got the system. And by the first week of June, everybody's shit should be in the mail, and everybody will be happy. Is everybody happy? Brian, are you happy? Oh, yeah. I'm just fucking delighted. You're just, uh, they'll have to wipe this fucking smile off your face with a fucking sandblaster. They'll, but any, but the, they'll have to find me first. They'll have to find you and you'll be hiding. But anyway, so we're raising money for charity and we're also uh, going to put a little bit of money back for me for carpal tunnel syndrome after I get finished signing all these action figures. Um, oh, and I should say those t-shirts are going to be available in sizes small to 3X. Uh, just for, we we'll see if we get any uh, requests for the larger sizes, but I have a bunch of emails here from the, you know, the people are so important on the program here, Brian, the people, what they feel, the cult of Cornette, the way they express themselves, milestones in their lives, things we need to recognize. Can we take a moment to, to, to hear from some of the people? Well, I can't say no after that. And it's your show, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would do you good to remember that, too. It's my show here. Uh, no, real quick. I um, uh, just wanted this email is from Chris, and he says, Hey, Jim and Brian, just wanted to reach out and say the show is great. Love you guys and all you teach us about classic wrestling, gerbils, secret codes, and all the rest. Uh, but he goes on to say, One of my little dogs just passed away at 15. Oh, but congratulations. That he made it that long, but 15, since I know you guys are dog lovers like me and my family, I was hoping y'all could give a shout out to Peanut on the experience or the drive through Oh, she, she was a good little dog and used to be my wrestling watching buddy. She even growled at losers like the Hardly Boys because she had good taste. But Chris and George, I mean, we're sorry about Peanut, but 15 years old. I am certainly hope that Harley Quinn lives a long and prosperous life like that. Here's one from Amos. And uh, I'm trying to find, I don't know where Amos is from, so we will move on. Uh, Jim and Brian, I started listening to your show over a year ago, and I tell you, I began to remember some of the good times of my life. I started watching professional wrestling in the early to mid-80s, 
and have been watching ever since. Well, more glancing now than watching. During my 20-year military service, I had the opportunity to provide security for a tribute to the troops event while in Iraq. Okay, to the point. Uh, Brian, you know, they've got... Uh, They've got Seamus and Ridge Holland, and now with their little buddy Butch, right? Right. Well, he's he goes on to say, whenever I see Butch, Seamus, and Ridge Holland, they remind me of the three tough cats from Tom and Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> with their little caps and everything. Uh, there you go. And and also, uh, Amos <laughs> sent some of his army pictures, but we can't show them. So, thank you, Amos. Um. Oh, look at that one guy in this one picture. He's filled with bullet holes. Oh, would you stop it now? He did not send anything out. That's a criminal offense if you're in the service and you do something like that. You're accusing this man of, of no, uh, no, 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 malfeasance. I'm, I'm joking. Well, it clearly isn't uh, the army. It looks like Detroit. Yeah, well, that's it was actually uh, Lansing, I think. I'm going to paraphrase this one because it's really, it's, it's, it's sad and it's personal, but uh, Mike from Oklahoma City. His best friend, Tremaine, just passed away from a heart condition. And they used to, uh, even though, uh, I guess, Mike lives in Wichita, Kansas. Tremaine was in Oak City. But uh, they used to text about our shows and about wrestling in general. And turns out when Mike went to see uh, Tremaine in the hospital, he ran by an Emo's Pizza in, in Kansas. and Oh, no. And, but no, yeah, and he, and he liked it and loved it. Um, agreed with me a hundred percent, but anyway, but uh, unfortunately before he could get Tremaine out of the hospital and, and get him to Emo's is when he passed away. So we just want to recognize Tremaine and send our condolences to Mike and obviously everybody involved in Tremaine's family and et cetera. Here is a question, a question from Gio. I think that's short for Giovanni from New York. And you may know something because this sounds both stupid and also, I'm not saying his question is stupid. I'm saying it sounds like a stupid thing to happen. And also like something that could have been misconstrued by a stupid person and that might actually have taken place, but not in the manner in which it's recounted here. Right? So I'm going to run this by you. What do you think? He wanted a question answered. He's a fine Customer at Cornet's Collectibles, and uh, uh, he's been in contact with the Feather Bottoms. Apparently, he was watching a shoot interview with Sid Vicious, talking about working with the Von Erics. And Gio says he speaks highly of Kerry, even with all of his problems, and sort of throws shade at Kevin. He then goes on to say that after Kerry died, Fritz and Kevin held a memorial show at the Sportatorium in which Sid drove himself there and worked for free, but that Fritz and Kevin held up the show for $2,000. I just wanted to ask you if you know if any of this is true. I've watched the Dark Side episode on the Von Erichs and have always admired Kevin's resilience in losing all his brothers and even having his father almost kill him once. According to what I got from that episode, that's when Fritz had had the brain cancer and was not there. But he goes on to say, and to have his sons carry on the Von Erich name better than their cousin Lacey. Uh, but if what Sid said is true, it doesn't really change my feelings about the guy. But I just wanted to see if it's true, since that would be an odd thing to do during a time of mourning. Hold up everything over $2,000, even when just adjusting for inflation. 
So it's Sid, and I'm not saying it's Sid just makes stories up, but Sid all the time doesn't comprehend the things that are going on around him. In under what circumstances, if you have ever heard anything like that, yeah, would Fritz and Kevin have held up a memorial show for Carrie for money at the Sportatorium? The story has always been, and when I say always, I mean from like the day after. I never heard about Fritz, but Kevin Von Erich held up the promoters of the Carrie Von Erich benefit show where the money was supposed to go to his daughters. The story has always been that Kevin showed up and held up the promoters for money since the day it happened. Then in what? And I'm not saying that's true or not, but that's always been the story. Okay, but then what was it? See, I'm trying to figure out before I just malign somebody. I know people know me for being cautious and careful before I speak. Was it one of those deals where they were using Carrie's name for the show in a memorial event? It was another promoter. Was the no. money legitimately going to Carrie's wife or his family? Or who was who was the money supposed to be going to? Listen, if I remember right, Michael Hayes flew himself in to be on the show. No. I mean, it was like a GWF show and the GWF, you know, two years after Petticino. I mean, it wasn't. Was that the, that Gray Pearson? Yeah. I'm sure Doyle okay. King was probably involved in it. I mean, no one nefarious. Doyle, Doyle, if Doyle, Doyle's retired these days and living a life of leisure, I love the man. But if he listens to this program because he gets that bored, Doyle, if you know the story, email me or or whatever. And uh Give us your side of it. but okay. And again, I never heard Fritz, and I doubt Fritz would have even gone. I always heard Kevin. Now, Kevin, if the story is that Kevin said it's for me and my dad, that's one thing. And I don't even know if that's the story, but the story's always been Kevin. And again, there was a period of time there where there's a lot of weird Kevin Von Erich stories. Yeah, I can. I, well, it, it was a weird time. Yeah. Back in the before time and the long, long ago. Well, there you go, Geo. So don't, don't. Besmirch the name, the good name of Sid, just yet. <laughs> Don't do any besmirching just yet. Who knows? Could have been a heel program. Really, we're not pulling for anybody. I don't know. There's another email from Joe from Waycross. You know where Waycross is, don't you? Texas? Georgia. What? I Texas? Don't, I don't, it sounds like a Texas town. I don't know what the fuck it is. No, Waycross, Georgia, or Waycross, Texas. That sounds Way, right. Waycross, Georgia, cut and shoot is in Texas. Anyway, from Joe from Waycross, uh, and he brings up a good point. See what you think about this, Brian. Hi, Jim and Brian. And see, now they're starting to include you. So you should feel warm and fuzzy. Acknowledge me. Acknowledge Brian. <laughs> um Hi, Jim and Brian. I'm a big fan and supporter, but I have a gripe with you, Mr. Cornette. And as someone who can hold a grudge as good as anybody and someone who likes to do things big and epic, I just find it completely underwhelming that the conclusion of this shit-stained feud will end with merely you pissing on his grave. I mean, think about it. The human bladder holds up to 750 milliliters, and that piss will maybe soak up to maybe six inches deep. Meanwhile, the corpse of Russo is nice and dry. You at least have to take a dump on his grave or have more piss available. So what I'm suggesting, I say you should go the Howard Hughes route and start saving all your piss. 
you can put it in a big container or little mason jars. And with the cumulative years of piss being doused upon Mr. Russo's final resting spot, it would ensure that no matter the what your piss, or no matter what, your piss would go on Russo's grave in the unfortunate event that you croak before shitstain does. So consider it piss insurance. Or maybe you can be generous and give back to the fans and sell the jars of piss at Cornette's Collectibles and allow us to get in on the fun and make the pilgrimage to Shitstain's grave and pour one for our homies and pour our own cornet piss on Russo's grave. Hell, you can autograph it, and the people can keep it proudly on their mantle if they do not wish or cannot make the trip to Russo's grave. Now, I don't know what kind of laws they have about shipping a piss parcel, but you're probably famous enough to get around it. Anyways, have a good day. And stay vengeful, my friends. Joe from Waycross. What do you think, Brian? Should I start storing it up? Now, here are the problems. Storage, transport. You don't want to deal with either one of those things. It's not worth it. Well, now, it still wouldn't take up a ton of room. I've got all these action figures stored. It wouldn't take up a ton of room to save all of your piss from now until Vince Russo's passing? Well, we can hope he goes quick. You go to the bathroom a few times a day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you have a lot of days. Well, it's not about how many days you have left. It's I don't want to start thinking about when someone's going to die just based on this piss game. Well, no, I'm just telling you, we could do some quick <laughs> mathematical calculations on how much room it would need to store all of the piss that I will piss for the rest of his life. Hold on, let me ask you a question. How much room do you think you need to store how much piss you piss in a month? Well, let's say, well, now when you think of, when you go to, see, it feels like a lot when it's coming out. But when you go to the doctor and you're supposed to piss in the little cup, you see that it's not that impressive. You're usually pissing in a toilet. It's already full of water or liquid. So you can't really tell how much you're adding to it. And if, if there's nothing wrong with your city plumbing, then you're adding some color to the water. So it may look like more than it actually is. But, you know, I would think. Would you piss a mason jar a day? And and if so, then 365 mason jars, that that would take up a good closet. So we need to we need to hurry him along cuz I've only got one empty closet in the whole house. And that's one of the things you're forgetting Howard Hughes who also collected his fingernails and toenails, I believe. Yeah. Had the clippings. Much- he he actually everybody collects their fingernails and toenails. It's what happens to the part that gets clipped off that well he had the room to store everything he was the richest man in the country yeah well but those penthouses in las vegas they're not that roomy but i guess he could have afforded a storage facility well what about if if howard hughes's unit had ever come up on storage wars that would have been interesting that would have been an interesting well, move for you. Instead of your urine on Vince Russo's grave, if you had gotten someone like Howard uses urine, if you start using famous urine of celebrities past. Well, but if I was going to spend money on famous people's urine, I'd keep it. Because some of it might be <laughs> urine, but most of it would be mine. But here's another thing, you know, and, and I'm afraid they'll catch me. I'm afraid they'll catch me what I'm planning on doing at whatever cemetery that he's, you know, they may, they may, now that I think about it, they may swerve me and put him in a tomb. Then I'd have to go in and drive a stake through his heart. 
But if they put him under the ground, they'll be able to catch me because it'll leave out. Because you know when you pour piss, well, if your dog goes out and pisses in the yard, if he does the same spot several times, it's going to kill the grass, right? So if I'm taking all this piss that I've stored up in a closet in mason jars, and I mean, by this time, it may need to be the Kurt Angle milk truck or the Steve Austin beer truck where I just have a hose and just spray it. Well, that all that urine's going to kill all the grass all over the top of old Vinny Roo. And then I'm going to feel bad because it's going to make all the innocent people in that cemetery that are residing there, it's going to make them look bad because they got a big spot of bare, dead dirt instead of dead grass, just a bare spot. It's horrible. It's not green. It's not lively. It's not beautiful. So I'm going to have to fix that up. So I'm putting in another codicil in my will, Brian, that says that after I accomplish what I'm going to do, that we need to retreat the the grass, the lawn over the top of Vinny Rue, and I'm going to engage our partners at Sunday Lawn <laughs> at GetSunday.com. Because I'm telling you what, no, folks, you know, you, ta- you used to dread taking the time and effort to fertilize your lawn, but now you can look forward to it because it's easy as spraying your hose. Whichever hose that you like to spray over your lawn, it's as easy as that because the Sunday's lawn care products are quick and easy. You don't even have to go to the store. Everything is delivered to your door and there's no harsh chemicals. It's made with ingredients that you can actually pronounce like seaweed and iron and molasses. It tastes good and it's nutritious. But the best part is it works. If your lawn has weeds or bear patches or pet spots, then Sunday can help you solve all those problems and more the easy way. They've got everything from fertilizer to seeds to weed control. Did I mention it'll be delivered right to your door? You won't have to go to them like I'm going to have to go to Vinnie Roo. But you can make your yard your personal oasis. Sunday helps you grow a beautiful lawn, control pests. As a matter of fact, if you take and you attach this to your garden hose and you spray pests like your neighbors, the kids down the street, they will instantly drop over into convulsions. They will be no. controlled and minimized. Bad Get idea. Get out of the way. No, don't do any of that. Of course, Jim is joking. He's a funny, funny man. You apply this to your lawn and it does what it's supposed to do. Do not apply this to your neighbors or children. Well, just apply it to the pests. Sometimes you like your neighbors. Sunday's lawn care, custom lawn care, is effective and super easy. Here's what you do, folks. You go to GetSunday.com. That's G-E-T, GetSunday. You want to get some of this? GetSunday.com. Put in your address, and they have a lawn analysis tool that does the rest. This guy, he may be a real tool, but he works his ass off, and he will use soil and climate data to create a personal nutrient plan delivered to your door, but don't eat it. Spray it on your lawn. It's that kind of personal nutrients. Because, Brian, you remember the first week I ate the stuff, and I turned green as as a pepper tree, but I wasn't no, You did not good. eat the stuff. Don't eat well, the you're stuff. Not, you're not supposed to. Sunday's lawn care products are made with your family in mind, but your family shouldn't eat it either. Spray it on the lawn. That's what I'm talking about. But right now, Sunday is offering our listeners 20% off full season plans. That's the entire season, and we're already in one of those seasons, so hurry. 
They start at just $129, and you can get 20% off when you visit GetSunday.com slash JCE at checkout. 20% off of your custom plan at GetSunday.com slash JCE. This is also good for snakes, lizards, and horny toads. It'll run them right off. I don't know about any of that, but they are a fine, fine sponsor. You should all support Sunday Lawn and let us know how well they work on your lawn or how well their products work on your lawn. Well, if you pay them extra, they may come and do a little hoeing. But uh, (laughs) if if you need a hoe, get online and go to GetSunday.com. I think you have to supply your own hoe, but they supply everything else. And what else are we going to supply Sometimes the hoe does the yard work. Um, here's another email we got. This is a story, an amusing antidote, as some of the folks say, from Matthew from Ontario. And Matthew visited Hogan's Beach Shop in Clearwater, Florida. We have heard about this establishment, but we have never had a an eyewitness first person recounting of what the place is like, what what goes on there. Would you like to hear this, Brian? Yeah, that's the point. Jimmy Hart's the maitre d', right? No, he's not the maitre d'. He he was a greeter at one point. I think now I think Jimmy has his own store now. A lot of people opening stores. I don't know. I think they're selling inner tubes and beach floats and things of that nature. But anyway, Matthew from Ontario. Holy shit, Jim and Brian is the salutation. I have a completely fucked story about the conspiratorial bullshit going down at Hogan's Beach Shop in Clearwater, Florida. It started with me wanting to take a picture with the authentic NWO championship belt and ended with me leaving intellectually violated by the store owner. Don't worry, it's nothing years of therapy can't resolve. Every time I've been to Florida, I've tried to find fun wrestling-related things to do since I'm a lifelong wrestling fan and was born into it since George Scott was my great uncle. More on that another time. (laughs) I've never been a Hogan fan, but on this trip, I decided to finally check out Hogan's Beach Shop and Bar on this trip. He redundantly repeated that redundantly. So my wife, daughter, and I took the 30-minute drive from Madeira Beach to Clearwater for what I believed would be a fun outing. We made it to the beach shop, looked around, and flicked Hulk Hogan's life-size nipples on one of the statues. One of the statues. The back wall is filled with real and or replica championship belts with a handwritten sign in the middle that says, ask about taking a picture with a belt. Without hesitation, I did. However, I wasn't prepared for what would come next. The bald employee at the (laughs) store. (laughs) You've seen this. The bald employee at the store who turned out to be the store owner, Ron Howard, not to be mistaken for the world-renowned director, producer, screenwriter, and actor, Ron Howard, went into a grift, rambling off the different prices it was going to cost to hold each belt. Replicas were cheaper, while the real belt started at $50. He says, U.S. (laughs) Well, yeah. These prices included a courtesy discount, as he claimed, because my wife bought some Macho Man merchandise. I wanted to tell this guy to fuck off for fleecing people, but without taking a breath, he proceeded to go off on what I can only describe as the batshit crazy ramblings of someone who's taken one too many stinky leg drops. (laughs) 
for seven long minutes. He strung together nearly every conspiracy theory currently making the rounds, past and present, into one cohesive thought. It was an incredible essay of misinformation, and I wish it had been secretly recorded. Thankfully, I typed everything out on my phone to capture the mania the second I made it out the door. So, Brian, without further ado, here's how this one-sided conversation unfolded in bullet point form. Would you like to, would you like to hear this? Would you like to hear about this? I would like to hear about this. Well, <laughs> it starts... I asked to hold a championship belt. Ron begins pulling his multi-tiered belt picture grift. He says the NWO championship belt is valued at $250,000, but believes it would be <laughs> but believes it would be closer to 1 million if it were auctioned. He rhetorically asked who could put a price on something like this. Next, the NWO certainly not him. Not him. <laughs> the NWO belt is like an NFT, one of a kind. NFTs are the future of money because it's untethered and away from government tampering. Oh boy. You can buy NFTs or live next door to Snoop Dogg in the metaverse for $30,000 and people are jumping at that chance. Movies always predict the future. They predicted NFTs and the metaverse. There's a movie with Will Smith where robots are a major part of our lives and try to take over. Humans won't exist in the future. I tell him the movie is AI to feign interest and keep him going. Yeah, that's the one he said. The government gave all these people jabs and stole our DNA. Why did they manufacture the pandemic? They wanted our DNA and we lined up to give it to them. Genetically what? modified, yeah, they took our DNA when they gave us the COVID vaccination. Genetically modified foods don't produce seeds like normal food. Uh, parenthetically, uh, from uh, our editor here, shockingly untrue, by the way. He goes on to say the guy said they collected seeds from normal food to grow fake crops, and they're collecting our seeds to tamper with. Normal food crops are being quietly destroyed, so we're forced to eat genetically modified food they create. Everything has been tampered with as part of their master plan. The government has plans for all of us. They'll clone us and genetically alter our DNA to be more compliant. They want a world population lower than 500 million people. So does everybody. Continuing. Bill Gates is evil and has said this. If you listen to him, he tells us to comply. At this point, my wife tries to get me out of the store by saying we're running out of time and needs to leave soon to make a reservation. She takes my daughter and abandons me as any good wife would in the presence of psychosis. Ron continues by saying everyone should get off so social media and use sites like Rumble that are off the grid. Apparently, he doesn't know what being off the grid means since Rumble exists on the grid. <laughs> what is Rumble? Where is Rumble? Let me clarify this. Oh, he continues to say, go on Rumble and learn about the Twin Towers. It was all fake. The U.S. wanted a war. This war with Russia and Ukraine is all fake, too. It's about taking over their resources. He has friends in the Pentagon who give him this information. They warn him about what's coming. He pointed to a shadow box case filled with military patches, which anyone can buy online, 
as a way to legitimize his deep throat informant at the Pentagon. Why this box is in a wrestling store right at the front is beyond me. Maybe Ron is <laughs> ex-military. As I'm shuffling out the door, he slips in that he's been friends with Hogan for 20 years, which I felt was out of place in the conversation, but painted a picture that Hogan is likely fucking nuts too if this guy represents his store. So there it is. It's a lot to unpack. And I can't imagine how exhausted you both must feel after hearing it. Who am I kidding? Jim probably loved it if his magnificent lizard robot overlord Code Academy sponsor plugs are anything to go by. So he closes to say, I would love it if a few Cult of Cornette members could make their way down to Hogan's Beach Shop to see if they can trigger this guy again. Just ask to hold a belt and see where it goes. Who knows? You might end up in the Church of Scientology that's only blocks away from the shop. You know, that email went in so many different ways. Did he ever actually get to hold the belt? I don't think so. I don't think he was going to pony up that $50 to hold that $1 million belt. Okay, regardless of whether these are the things that you believe in life are true or not, does this guy just harangue everybody that walks into that store with this drivel? And if so, has nobody ever attempted to jerk a knot in his tail as mama Cornette would say or discourage that because maybe they ought to investigate whether he's running off all the hogan's customers who hulkster might need those in dire times that may be coming according to ron or maybe he believes what the hulkster believes Woo! <laughs> yeah, wasn't that a doobies brothers song what the hulkster believes I don't know. Maybe after uh, Michael McDonald took over. Well, it's time for the update section. Some of the things we've been talking about recently on some of the programs, we have updates. Apparently, Ric Flair's retirement match that we were talking What was it? Did Was that last week here on The Experience? Or was it on the drive-thru? Your show. It was one of the shows. I don't even remember. They blur together now. Just listen to them all on a continuous loop, and it'll drive you slowly and utterly mad. But Flair had been putting out some video. He's been working out in the ring with Jay Lethal, and then they announced that he was going to come back for one final match. And at the time, that was the announcement, and we were pondering who could promote this, where would it be, what is he thinking. Uh, I registered my concern that maybe with his health problems that he had that involved his internal organs, that maybe taking hip tosses and body slams might not be a thing that you'd want to do even well, if it should do even if you want to do it as i mentioned i'd love to go out and take a couple of bumps sometime one of these days like i used to but i wouldn't love the aftermath from between two weeks and six months of recuperation so anyway that's what we knew then now apparently we find out the match will be in nashville tennessee SummerSlam weekend it's being promoted under the blazing banner of Jim Crockett Promotions. I know many people are saying, how can this be? Because not only have they been out of business for 34 years, but also Jim Crockett is dead. And it is because it is being flown under that banner as a tribute to Crockett Promotions. And it's being held at the Nashville Fairgrounds, a place that Crockett Promotions never ran uh, in the history of their 
company. And uh, we don't know the match yet, but there was rumor and innuendo and, and even some scuttlebutt. That's a word that doesn't get used a lot anymore, scuttlebutt. That Ricky Steamboat was somehow going to be in it. And Ricky Steamboat made a public announcement pretty much shooting that down saying, no, I, I don't. I don't need to be doing this at this point because he's how old is Ricky Steamboat? And he had a health issue the last time he worked for WWE, didn't he? Ten years ago? That's why he had to stop his comeback when he made that comeback. Well, yeah, was it it, it was something with a bleeding on the brain of uh, or a something of that nature? Something of that nature. I'm not sure. Do you have his medical files, Dr. Lex? <laughs> I can see what I can find out over. Look here. up a Richard Blood. Uh, see if he had his colonoscopy on time while you're at it. So Steamboat has said, you know, and I'm sure if Ricky felt like, and I think the reason he gave, I read the statement and then basically the reason he gave was he couldn't be who people would expect Ricky Steamboat to be. I mean, I, you, you look at, at Ricky and I mean, my God, he looks fantastic physically for his age, whatever his age may be, it's close to flares. And he's always been in fantastic shape and he's taken care of himself. And he wasn't one of the guys that put a lot of out of the ring miles on his body, but uh, there comes a time it came with Muhammad Ali. It comes with everybody where you can't, you can't do it anymore to the standard that you used to, we mentioned when we were talking about this originally from watching Flair work out with Jay Lethal, if he was any, any civilian, then he, he's fantastic of any age. And for, for anybody 70 something years old, he's fantastic, but it ain't Ric Flair and it can't possibly scientifically be. And and I just worry, like I said, and people got on me. Well, he didn't say anything about Ricky Morton. Yeah, I did say something about Ricky Morton. I said, I don't see how he's still doing that shit either, but he's never had a major illness or a major injury. He's had torn muscles. He's had all the injuries that wrestlers used to have. And I'm sure that that over a period of time, the cumulative effect is if you examined any him or any 60 something year old ex wrestler, you'd find a lot wrong with them, but he's never been on the brink of fucking death. And I still shudder and get goosebumps every once in a while. When I see some of these at Lawler who has actually not only been to the brink of death, but passed that and died and came back. But think about Lawler is, I don't know if in Jerry's current matches, if he, will fall down more than once or twice and on his own terms. And nobody notices because he's the master of psychology and his match works in any time zone, in any place, in any language, anywhere. But he, it's not Ric Flair's match. I'm sure the people will be happy to see him and, you know, and just be able to say, I saw Ric Flair live in person in the ring, whatever, but I just, I don't know if it's advisable. Brian, get me out of this. Well, I think Steamboat 
you know, I think it's true that because of health reasons and intelligence, it's not wise at this point in his life to get in the ring. And I also think some people are smart enough to stay away from this desperate shit show. What is this? Why would anyone want to be a part of this? Let's celebrate Ric Flair's heritage in Nashville, where there is no Ric Flair heritage. Except against Steamboat. That's the only thing that ties him <laughs> to fucking Nashville is Steamboat. This whole thing is a mess. There's a lot of people who are embarrassed by Ric Flair and don't want to be around him. I'm not saying Rick Steamboat's one of those guys, but I'm saying I give Rick Steamboat a lot of credit because money makes a lot of people do stupid things. And he said, no, I give him a lot of credit. And you know what? That's the thing is at some point, I mean, not only, yes, I understand somebody wanting to relive things that they used to do and enjoy. And, you know, I would want to do the same thing if the wrestling business was anything remotely what I got into a while, but I'd want to do it again. Now, no, not so much. But at some point, wisdom and or dignity has to prevail you can't it it was wc feels i don't know do you know this brian that wc feels before his career as a movie comedian in the 30s in the early 1900s 19s aughts and teens was the biggest star on broadway i did not know that no he was the headlining act for the ziegfeld follies and for the, uh, oh my God, uh, who did the scandals? What was the the promoter of the scandals? Something white. Regardless, he did all the big Broadway shows. He, he toured Europe. He was the most famous and most talented comedy juggler in show business. W.C. Fields. That was his first career in show business. And he made a fortune for the time. And he was in all the, the newspapers. But by the time that he got a movie career, he made a few silent movies, but they didn't really translate. And part of the reason was that uh, people enjoyed his witticisms when he was comedically fucking up his juggling. He was the best juggler in the world, which is why he could fuck it up and make it funny and still do it right. And he would make the funniest sides. Finally, when he got to the movies, point of this story he was already in his fifties. He'd been an alcoholic. And as a result, he had lost his reflexes. So you see very little of WC Fields juggling in the movies because of that. He had, he was past his prime. He had been an alcoholic. He had lost his physical skills and time waits for nobody. So he had a second career that was, that's what caused him to be worldwide known but his biggest career relied on his physical capabilities that he had lost with age and infirmity. And it's the same thing with everybody in every sport or every physically taxing, demanding entertainment. And it just, to me, sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's wonderful when you see a guy on the news that's 86 years old and he ran the marathon. He took him seven days to finish, but he finished it, right? But he wasn't the fastest human being in the world 50 years ago. So it just, it, it, I guess that's all I've got to say about it. It just, it makes me uncomfortable. The whole thing's a shit show. <laughs> 
desperate people do desperate things. Well, God dang it. Nashville. Nashville makes people do strange things. We haven't even talked about why Ric Flair had to go away. <laughs> All of a sudden, this, this isn't just like his last match. His comeback. He had to go away. We haven't even talked about that. So, I mean, that's well, another part you of know, the but it had, there's the thing. That's why he's having a comeback. Because we didn't miss him till he went away. <laughs> he went away. We, we missed him. The guy had to go away for swinging his, for a story coming out about him cornering and confronting a flight attendant with his penis. And then other stories came out. He had to go away. And now he's having a comeback show promoted by some guy that got arrested for domestic violence. What the fuck is this? Well, Jesus. The dirtbags of wrestling. Jesus is involved too? <laughs> what a... All right. Ric Flair, come back. Give me a break. Speaking of dirtbags, let's transition to the other side of the fence for a second and go to the WWE where it's been announced that Stephanie McMahon is now going to take a leave of absence from her the majority of her duties. Those have not been delineated or enumerated in in print that we can read off and then i saw a report that said that nick khan would be taking over some of those duties boy he he can pop the corn too can he it seems Old like nick it. khan can do everything <laughs> fucking hell and, and nick when you get finished with that boy the fucking concession stand is a mess and we need to be restocked so i mean there's two schools of thought on this one is to me one is that Stephanie wants to spend more time with her family now that her husband has not only gone through a bout of, you know, ill health, but has been relieved in one way or another of, of either he unburdened himself or somebody like him to bergam on him, as Coco Ware would say. And he don't have much to do anymore. Now are they just going to be the Griswolds and hop in a fucking camper and go to Wally World? Or... Is she backing up from responsibilities in the company? And I don't even know exactly what they've been lately uh, because of some nefarious machinations going on behind the scenes in the evil empire involving Nick Khan and his desperate attempt to make this thing the next goddamn Walt Disney Studios. Your thoughts? I could say I sincerely hope this is as simple as she's taking time off to be with her husband and her children. I hope so, because you know what? Quite frankly, it'll change her life if she takes some time to do that. It'll make her probably appreciate things a little differently. A lot of people, obviously, their mind goes right away to Hunter must really be in bad shape, but then I heard that he was at the uh, the shareholders meeting the other day. So if he's making appearances, he can't be so bad that she has to take off from work to take care of yeah, him. Yeah, well, yeah, he well, and he did the uh, the interview that we've all seen and talked about. He's not bedridden. He's not frail. But th um, this right now, and I know she still owns like whatever, like two and a half percent of the company. But this right now is the first period of time in the history of the company where there's only one McMahon working on the inside. Boy, and that McMahon is 70. When's his birthday? Is he about to be 77? Maybe. So, yeah. hey. Mike Johnson and Dave Shearer have at PW Insider have reported on this uh, a couple of things. There's not much to report yet, but they do say that there may be more of this than meets the eye, and that generally indicates that when they say that, there's more to this than meets the eye. 
So, I mean, you know, it, it, Stephanie has been there doing various things, whatever at any specific time that she's been doing since what, 1999. We just saw the evil. She, well, she was interning in probably late 98 because she was interning right before I left and came down to Louisville. And then she started on TV as, as we saw from the evil episode in summer of 99. The point being that's 23 years. Has she taken any appreciable time off in the past? Do any, do any of the McMahon family or their various in-laws ever take time off? Yeah. Shane took time off. Look what happened. Well, no, he took time off from the WWF, but he went and started 18 other companies. That's the joke. I mean, I don't know how many of those other companies succeeded, but the point is Vince doesn't take time off. You think he's going to be sympathetic to his kids taking time off if they're working there? Well, therein lies the the problem. If it, I can think that he would be sympathetic to Stephanie stepping back because she was not happy about something that was going on in the business rather than she just wanted to take it easy. Cause Vince can, Vince can get over, excuse, look past any behavior. As long as you are taking a stance allegedly in your mind or whatever for business, this is it's business pal. But if you just want to go, play with the dog or spend time with the family or go on a vacation, he'll look at you like you got turds hanging out of your mouth. And again, I so, think she has kids that haven't graduated from high school yet. So if there was a time to spend with family and travel and do stuff, now is the time. Yeah. Their first kid shit that third grade graduation. Well, third grade, that was the hardest four years of that kid's life. Oh, stop it. Come on. I'm just they could bribe a teacher any day of the week. That's so well, that's such true. a silly that's comment true. there. Yeah. But think about this. In the last six months, Hunter does an interview saying that his role in the company will never be the same again. Shane's fired. And now Stephanie walks away. It's pretty intriguing. And in, what do you think? Two years, three years? Will it take that long? There'll be, just like there was back in the territory days, there'll be a con in charge of every wrestling promotion. And how many Playgirl models are dancing poolside for Linda right now down in Florida? Do they still publish Playgirl? I don't know. I don't know. Where'd all those guys go to show their wee-wees? They used to, there's a very, very famous, I don't want to get sued. I may get sued for this one, but there's a very, very famous record executive. Chase has the final edit. There's a very famous record executive in the music industry who regularly used to travel with his quote-unquote nephews who he would pick out of the pages of Playgirl magazine, and then his assistant would have to call and wrangle them. So she was the dick wrangler? She was the uh, the dick wrangler, the playgirl girl, I guess, technically. <laughs> how did we get going on this? We're talking about Stephanie I don't, McMahon. I don't know. We were talking about, I don't know where you came up with that. Your mind is always in the gutter. Do you think Stephanie's going to come back? Well, what's she going to come back to? If at the time that she has finished taking her leave of absence and would want to come back to work, if that indeed it takes place. She'd want to come back. If it was still her dad running the company, would she want to come back to Disney world or, you know, fucking Wally world or whatever major Motham picture studio 
that the WWE might be in a few years. The other thing to think about, and it, this is not necessarily a great way to do business, but you have to think about it because it's realistic. If anything does happen to Vince, it would probably pacify the shareholders a bit to have a McMahon there at the helm. Good point. Good point. Because then they could say, well, even though Vince succumbed to that horrible 24-hour bout with Hooping Belch, Stephanie has been there for 25 years. She's experienced in every facet of the company, and she has at least the ability to be advised by her husband, Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer, Triple H. That would, can you see, you're always, you're a business guy there, Brian Buffett. You're always thinking about what are the shareholders going to do? If something happened to Vince McMahon, what would happen the very next day or the same day or whatever to the price of WWE stock? It would likely go down no matter what. I think. You never you know. Think you can never make predictions with the it, stock would market. Would it plummet or would it just be hurt? I don't think it'll plummet because I think, especially if it happens in a few years, I think if they go on the trajectory they're on now, despite some of the worst television ever produced for the medium of television, with the profits and everything and Nick Khan running it, if they continue the way they are now with no disruptions at the top with Nick Khan continuing, I don't think it will be that big a drop. And then again, it might be the opposite effect because then all of the fans who've been waiting to get Vince out of the way might do the GameStop thing and everybody buy a, sh a share and a half or whatever, and it could go through the roof. Anything's possible. And it, you can never make predictions with the stock market. I better call my financial advisor, Swifty Flanagan. Oh, not that guy. Come on. Well, I had to give him something to <laughs> do since the feather bottoms him. took over my other work. The legitimate work, yeah. Yeah, the legitimate stuff. And then Swifty gets to play around a little bit. But you know, the thing is, that's the problem, Brian. That's the thing is all of these people like the McMahons, they're billionaires. They got publicly traded companies. They're big stock financial experts. They're making a fortune. They got money coming out every sweat gland in their body. But regular folks like us, we need to, we need to plan and plot and figure out how that we can possibly make money and, and invest and and ensure a secure financial future, right? Well, you, maybe not you, because, you know, you're a genius and all that stuff. But most of us, we, we're normal people. We're not like the McMahons. So we've got to do things that normal people do to invest their money, like buy a Van Gogh. Have you ever bought a Van Gogh? It's Van Gogh. Well, see, and you should the know thing that. is those Van Goghs are expensive. But if you get a Van Gogh, you can get a deal. That's See, that's, that's where it comes in. But folks, if you would like to secure your financial future, the stock market is iffy. And we've just heard from Ron Howard, the manager of Hulk Hogan's Beach Shop in Clearwater, Florida, that money's no good anymore. It isn't going to be pretty soon because all the governments are going to fall apart. So you know what you need to do you need to invest in fine art in masterworks I forgot his name Stop is ron howard snickering back there he used to be opie but then he grew up folks if you want to take care of your money invest it in stuff that's lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years and they ain't making no more of them and that's fine art that's masterworks nobody can make fine art anymore people can barely fart anymore much less make fine art but folks, again, if you're 
struggling with the economy in its current state, you're feeling financial pressure, struggling to take care of the family, fill your gas tank, put food on the table, then you have now got a company that allows normal people like you and me to fight back. You can go to masterworks.art slash gym and get priority access, skip the wait list, masterworks.art slash gym, and you'll find out everything you need to know about how to invest in this lucrative industry of fine art and collectibles. For example, Whitey Bulger, the, the leader of the Winter Hill Gang up in Boston, he had a, a bunch of people that were into fine art. They would go in a museum, and they'd take a razor blade and cut it right out of the frame. But you can actually legally purchase at least some part of that thing. I don't know how they divvy it up, maybe with scissors, maybe pinking shears, but you'll get at least an inch and a half square of a Van Gogh or a Monet or a Basque or, or a Michelangelo. There you go. What'd you, what'd you just say? Basquiat. Gesundheit. Anyway, go to masterworks.art slash gym and find out all the things that I did not tell you here. You will be amazed. And you can see important Regulation A disclosures. That's disclosures about Regulation A, and you need to be regular when it comes to your A, at masterworks.io slash cd. Masterworks is going to make us all millionaires. I'm convinced of it. Sounds like a plan. All right. Speaking of millionaires, they put on rotten television programs. And billionaires, they put on even worse television programs. And this past week's Monday Night Raw was no exception to that. Dear Lord Almighty, why did they put almost against Bobby Lashley in a cage on first on national television? In front, talk about a lights-out match. That match should have been wrestled in the dark. <laughs> and they should have blindfolded everybody just to make sure nobody accidentally hit the light switch. When I tuned in and I saw that, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe they're going to start with a cage match. But then they started the promo and I said, oh, okay. They're just for some reason starting the show with a promo building up to the cage match later. And they have the cage around them. And then they just went to the match. Well, they went to the match because they realized they left 20 minutes for this thing and then thought, my God, that's against the Geneva Convention of War to put these guys in a cage for 20 minutes. That MVP come out and MVP started his promo seven minutes into the show. Yes, they had the open and the billboard and the graphics and pyro and ballyhoo and all that stuff and recapping the, what they thought they were going to be presenting in the way of matches that and the countdown to Cody as soon as they come on the air to an, an hour and 57 minutes and you'll see Cody if you are a fan of wrestling just wait here's when you can come back to the show yes, that's what they're yes. saying be back here in an hour and 57 minutes folks um but again he was a fucking executive vice president of a company they didn't treat him like that big of a star but anyway, so MVP starts his promo at seven minutes into the show. And he's starting a promo about Lashley, and he got whatted, but he kicked it in when he was introducing Almost, and they booed his introduction. But the, the whole thing I kept thinking, I was like, he's promoing 
what almost is about to do to Bobby Lashley, but shouldn't they have done that last week to promote this match? Because they're already in the fucking ring. The, the, he's preaching to the choir here. I don't think anybody's going to suddenly grab their phone and say, Jesus, two minutes, turn on the, the USA Network. But MVP did a good promo. Here comes Lashley. Did they do, is that a different, the circular stage and the lighting, like the bodybuilder pose? Has he been doing that? Or is that a little new nuance at the top of the, of his entrance? I think they've been doing it for a little while, but the other thing is, I don't remember, maybe I'm wrong. I don't remember seeing the wide shot before they go to him close up, which I don't understand why they would even show him setting up on the stage (laughs) before this big grudge cage match. Well, maybe they just forgot. But I usually skip the entrances because they take so fucking long. But anyway, as here comes Lashley and here comes Cedric Alexander and he gloms Bobby from behind and he gets on him and not one single punch looked real. And it's not like, oh, somebody's going to say, well, Cornette wants him to just come down there and punch him in the face 15 times. No, when you're throwing punches to Bobby Lashley's ribs, you don't need to have an open hand and you don't need to look like you're playing patty cake with your daughter. He's a grown adult man. Or just don't do that thing that you can't do. How about that? So... almost an MVP get on him and the referees come out and the agents and they're separating and it, it was all sloppy, but at least it was movement. But then Lashley gets in the cage and they go to the break. So they've started this whole thing hot to get everybody up. Oh, get in and the break. And they're gone for three minutes. And when they come back, Everybody's standing in the ring, and the announcers actually said, okay, we got order restored. Now we'll start the match. (laughs) And they ring the bell 15 minutes into the show. The bell rings to start the match. But has anybody ever told these fucking numbnuts that the whole reason that you jumpstart something like that and have all that chaos is to get people hooked and then keep it going? You don't restore order. You... You you go with the the chaos and keep it going because now you got them hooked, especially when you've got the Colossus of Rhodes here that can't fucking move. And and that when they started the match, almost I can't I think it was two attempted punches and maybe a kick. He touched Bobby like three times and Bobby started grovel selling. He's crawling on his hands and knees and he can't even look up from barely being touched by this. So then, but then when Bobby fights back, almost can't sell. So that means all of Bobby's shit looks fake. But I don't mean to just say that almost can't sell. I mean to say he can't sell, he can't feed, he can't open up, he can't react, he can't stagger, he can't register, and he can't fall. That's what I mean to say. The first pop, really, a pop in this whole thing was when Lashley grabbed MVP's arm as he was reaching through the cage and tried to break his arm through the cage. And then he turned around and speared almost, and that was a second big pop and got a two count. And then I thought, my God, they've got to be going home here, right? But they weren't. Lashley gets the hurt lock, almost escapes somehow. Lashley hits him with a double boot, climbs the cage, almost catches him. 
but Lashley knocks almost back into the ring, and there's Cedric Alexander out again and climbs the cage. <clears throat> he climbed the cage like a goddamn human fly. And so it made... Every time somebody's trying to escape that cage, and they climb so slow, and Cedric got up there in, what, five seconds? And Lashley tossed him off the top of the cage and then does a crossbody onto Almost, who catches him and throws him into the cage. And all that read better than it was. And it's still the best 30 seconds in Almost's career. And then the match died again. Because now they're doing something else. And Lashley threw... And again, I don't know what he's supposed to... I don't have an answer for what you're supposed to do when you're trying to work with a refrigerator. But he threw 10 punches at Almost, and the guy can't sell any of them, so it's like punching a a statue in the park. Just, it's going to look like shit. And finally, Almost picked him up again and did the thing where he threw him into the cage on the other side of the ring, and the side of the cage snapped open and fell down and Lashley just stepped up and touched the floor and won the match. And I, I got to Adam Pierce did that finish in ring of honor with uh, one of the ring of honor world title matches. And it works. It's I'm not saying the finish is bad, but that finish should come after a good match. And it, it's, it's natural to, that finished to leave things open for a rematch. And is this the second or third time we've seen this? And my God in heaven, do we ever want to see it again? Brian? No, no, we do not want to see it again. I think <laughs> it's the third time. Creative finish. I mean, the finish is the only good part of the entire thing. Not to take anything away from MVP on the mic, but that went on too long. This is a week of everything on wrestling going on way too long. With almost knowing that you had no involvement in his career at all, is there any way for you to tell if it's just he can't do anything or is it just bad training? Well, it mostly it's, I don't think he can do anything at all. He ain't got the picture. He don't see it in his mind. He's not physically potentially nimble enough or agile enough or capable of having that body language. I don't know. But then there's a way <laughs> if you're, If you get wrestling mentally, you can be almost immobile at that size and still you can draw some money and you can get something. But where the, I don't know the variety of mistakes they've made with this guy. I I don't think he's ready to be on television, but if, if they've been, if they've been watching him longer than I have before he even got on television and they think, okay, this is as ready as he'll ever be, then I guess that's why he's on TV he needed to be hidden and teased a lot more than he was before you saw that he couldn't do shit. And I'm not talking about hiding him so nobody can find him and he's not on TV. I'm talking about hiding him as the bodyguard in the group, as the enforcer, as something where he's not presented as a wrestler, but he can do completely controlled things in, in small quantities. <laughs> But the fact that they gave him the double head squeeze indicates to me that they didn't have a lot of fucking confidence starting out. That, but, but a body slam from this guy, if it's sold right and looked good, would have been better than a bad head clamp. 
because he's seven feet whatever. But I would I would have hidden him. I would have Haman. I mean, you know, even Paul E may say fuck you, but Haman would have been the guy to talk for him. Haman would have been the guy to employ him. Haman would have been the guy to hide him. And by the time that he got finished with that, they could have probably got a massive buy rate for one pay-per-view of just putting the guy in the ring with somebody to do anything. But now that they've seen him several times, they have these matches. I mean, stand him next to Satinum Singe, because that's the only way almost is going to look good. I, I, you know, so I don't think that there's no training at fault here. It's just this, this guy is just bless him. Whatever he was doing beforehand, maybe he was better at that than he was at wrestling. You know, not that everything was great before the network, but it really is the network that changed everything to the point where they just throw this shit out there. It means nothing. And like you said, they could have built to a buy rate. They don't give a shit about buy rates anymore. Now it's just, let's churn out content, get it out there, get it out there. And it means the booking makes no sense and it's stupid because they don't care about buy rates anymore. They don't care about what the big match will be. But you know what? That's the way you made your stars. And the reason why there's no stars, big stars now is because there's no big match and there's no big show. And then the one big show that's still a big show is WrestleMania. And now pretty much every year they've conditioned people that some big star that doesn't work here anymore is going to have to come back because we don't have no big stars because you don't have a big star without a big match, big title, big pay-per-view, big push, big whatever. Moving on. Austin theory. I thought was going to wrestle Mustafa Ali. They were in the ring, but then Theory does the promo. What makes you think this is going to happen? Because he doesn't trust the referee. They need a guest referee, and it's the Miz, and they did the thing last week, and here comes the Miz, oh joy. And But now Theory says, expect the unexpected, I learned from Vince McMahon. Here's your real opponent, Beer Mayhan. Oh, Christ. Is, is Beer Mayhan cross-eyed, or is it his, the face paint that's that makes it appear that way is it a, is it a tropical illusion i don't want to make any presumptions although i did have the same question while watching the show he he looked like he was trying to fucking stare down a fly on his nose <laughs> so what, what are you laughing at I, that's exactly what he looked like so miz is the referee he's wearing women's stretch pants and shoes with no socks and I realized, wait a minute, why am I stopped to watch this because it was theory. Well, theory's done. Now it's another guy wrestling another guy with another guy refereeing and theory standing on the floor. So I skipped ahead and it ended up that the Mysterios ended up saving Mustafa Ali from all the heels. Did, uh, did I encapsulate that fairly correctly? I guess so. Theory was very comfortable out there on the mic. You can see why everyone sees so much in him, and the bizarre, I guess it's a push of Mustafa Ali continues, and I don't understand. I guess they just don't like the guy, I guess is the only thing I can think of. And at least the Mysterios can redeem themselves now, because they got beaten like fucking redheaded stepchildren before they were sent off to wherever they've been. 
Okay, so then here's where it starts getting interesting. Because now you had the package from last week. Bianca wrestled Oscar and Becky interfered. And they had announced for the main event on the this Raw episode, it would be a six-pack challenge. Six, six girls, six anybody's is too much, but six people all fighting for themselves. Naomi, Sasha, Oscar, Becky, Dewdrop, and Nikki Ass. That was the main event that was advertised. But then after the package plays, we come to Adam Pierce and Becky Lynch, and they talk about the fact the walkout. Naomi and Sasha took their bags and left. And Becky's standpoint, viewpoint, is that the six-pack challenge shouldn't happen. Now, we all were in favor of that not happening. But she should be the automatic number one contender and get the shot at Bianca coming up. And Pierce, of course, says, no, no, it will not happen that way. The main event is going to be Becky versus Oscar. And the winner gets the title match against Bianca. So... That is the first time that the people, the fans, the viewing public, heard that Sasha and Naomi had had taken their things and departed. And the announcers there reacted and put the new match over, but didn't mention the walkout. I think it was later on I wrote it down, the the entirely unprofessional and heinous act that they, after Vince had time to write something down for him. So this was where not only did social media start lightening up, light it, lightening up, light, lighting up, but also uh, more people were talking about the two girls that left and weren't going to be in the match than were talking about the show from what I saw as it was going on. This took all the, it upstaged everybody, the girls walking out, which bears my point that wrestling fans tolerate the wrestling programs these days just so that they can get to the backstage news and shit that they know is real because nothing on the program strikes them as real. What do you think, Brian? I mean, you're right. The Sasha and Naomi news, as soon as it got out there, that was all anyone was concerned about. It's all anyone cared about. And while there was a brief burial of sorts <laughs> by Corey Graves, directed by Vince McMahon on this show, it was certainly more so later in the week, but that's all anyone cared about. And, of course, Mike Johnson had the story pretty quickly, so everyone at home was watching knowing this happened. And that's, again, and I'll, I won't belabor the point, possibly too late, but the wrestling fans now tolerate the wrestling shows so that they can identify the characters that are involved in the real-life drama backstage where everybody hates each other, is trying to screw each other, or whatever the fuck, because that's the only real thing about wrestling. Which is basically why that 9 out of 10 million of the wrestling fans just said, fuck it, this shit's phony, so we ain't watching anymore. And the other million have determined that they're going to put up with whatever just because they'll eventually get the backstage news that's real like wrestling used to be. So speaking of real like wrestling used to be, next out was Matt Riddle, who rode his fucking scooter to the ring, and when he jumped in the ring and got introduced, giraffes came out of his ass. Giraffes this week, Brian. Why? 
Is there any reason for the giraffes? I don't know. His favorite show when he was a kid was Doctari. <laughs> I mean, that's that's one for my age group, folks. That was that was a great show. Marshall Thompson was the star of that program. I've figured out Riddle is the WWE's version of Pockets to me. Just inexplicable. I acts goofy, looks goofy, awkward. I don't know what the fuck. And for whatever reason, people cheer for it. So I'm starting to find doppelgangers in both the companies that represent the same slot. As we go along, we'll see this. Anyway, Riddle wrestled Jimmy Uso. And uh, I I zoned out. I mean, they're, they're doing something with each other every week. Orton wasn't there. Jay was in Jimmy's corner. Orton wasn't around. And I said, I don't get Riddle. I zoned out on this. Jay tried to interfere. So the referee got the biggest pop of the whole fucking night, pretty much, ejecting Jay Uso from ringside. And as soon as that happened, Jimmy turned around and Riddle small packaged him one, two, three. Just when they had got the people in this fucking thing and then it was over. Did I miss anything? Probably, but I missed it too. (laughs) Ha ha! Then we will move on to the next segment that I thoroughly enjoyed. And I, you need to start, grab a knife and fork and some salt and pepper and start eating some crow. That's what you need to do. You need to slit it right down in between the breastbone and eat a half crow now and a half crow later. Why is that? Because the Judgment Day promo, they look great. Damien Priest has a man's voice. Rhea Ripley is a goddess. Edge is fantastic in this. I don't even care about the material. The way he delivers it, the way he seems like he believes it, the fluid manner in which it comes off his tongue. And they're all dressed in black, and they're all lit properly in black. And they are doing the House of Black, and they're doing it right. But now, and also, you know, the tease is more will join, and Edge says, Our arms are open. And he makes a pitch to AJ to join him, and he has a reason. The, the spooky groups that get put together in wrestling these days. There's never any reason to follow these people. Either they're always getting their ass kicked or they're middle card at best. And who would want to be in that fucking group to begin with? Or they're is so bizarrely booked that they abuse their, the minions. And why would you want to join this group? Edge has a pitch. They all have a pitch. We used to fucking try to do things the right way, and these fucking fans and all the people take advantage of us. Now we're out for ourselves. You can join us. We'll be stronger together. That's a pitch. And he said that Liv Morgan and Finn Balor and AJ can join, or they can suffer the consequences of not being in the group. I like this. I wish they'd... Maybe Tony could just rent them for 10 minutes every week and put these clips on... Wednesday nights also in place of the uh, House of the Black Fellows. Now go ahead and run Edge's promo down. I'm not going to run it down. It's all right. I'm not into the whole get up and the whole thing, but I like that he got a haircut. He looks a little different. He looks like Hunter Biden after a bender now, the fucking haircut. (laughs) 
But we'll see where they go. I will admit they're doing it a lot better than the House of Black, which was so bad they got kicked off Dynamite for the last few weeks. But it's just, it's uh, it's not for me. We'll see what they do when they actually get in the ring and feud with someone. Maybe it will be someone other than AJ Finn and Liv Morgan at some point. Well, there's the problem. Because after that great segment, next was Finn Balor and AJ Styles as a tag team for apparently the very first time, I think, probably, right? Because I haven't seen them, to, and they got Liv Morgan in the corner. So they're just, they're coalescing all the people there. But they, Finn and AJ wrestled the Lotharios, Los and Jose Lothario. And all I could think of was my, how AJ Styles has fallen. He He's a former champion. He was in all the main event mix, major pay-per-view matches, and now... He and Finn against the Lotharios. And and they didn't even have their manager, El Gran Lothario, with them. But I may, remember I said I was finding doppelgangers? Tell me that the Lotharios are not the WWE's version. Ver, version. <laughs> WWE's version. <laughs> shut up now. Tell me, you no good giggler. <laughs> ask, I'm dying to know. <laughs> I'm dying to ask you. Tell me that the Lotharios are not the WWE version of the Puddin' Gang in AEW, but in better physical condition. Oh, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair. They've they never been a- as silly. They're never as stupid. I think they're actually pretty... The one guy, uh, Garza... The one guy. I don't remember who the other guy is, but the guy Garza, he was really talented. He was one of the highlights of NXT for a while. And then okay, he brought him well, to the main roster and he sucked. The kiss, uh, then they, then he's Trent. Okay, the kiss cam is the hug. It's all foolish. It's just, it's drivel. But the best friends completely suck. Comparing an act to the best friends is so wrong unless it's really something awful. Well, I bet the Lotharios don't like small animals either, so... I'll compare them to the Puddin' Gang. Steen and Gable and Otis still want to expose Elikiel for whatever reason. Okay, last week, I believe it was, Cruella DeVille was was, uh, uh, summarily dismissed as a WWE executive. She's now merely a a wrestler on the roster. Adam Pearce gave her the news. And last week also, if you'll recall, they... They've been making her a heel as a management figure, trying to get all this heat on her. She's been screwing around Naomi. Maybe Naomi had something. She had a legitimate gripe. But she's done all this. She looks good. She's tall. She's dark. She's not handsome. Well, she's a handsome woman. And she got beat last week in like 30 seconds by that little fucking teeny tiny supernatural demon-possessed serial killer twat Alexa Bliss who's microscopic in size and just the poster girl for phony fucking wrestling over the last year. So this week, she gets a rematch. And this week, she got beat again. It was like watching a grown woman try to wrestle a grade schooler cosplaying as Madonna. But Alexa Bliss again beats... DeVille flat in the middle, one, two, three, with a DDT. Thank you. What? Why did they have her as this authority figure, make her screw the other girls so she's got heat as a heel, and then 
fire her as a management figure, shouldn't she have gone into a program with one of the top baby faces that she'd been screwing around, but instead she's just used to get Alexa Bliss over when Alexa Bliss comes back from her rehab she's been in where they pray the Satan away? What the fuck is going on here? Well, the other interesting thing is how many of those dolls do they think they're going to sell? She's like George Steele. She had the doll when she had the spooky powers. Now she's back to just being a happy-go-lucky American girl, but she still has the little creepy doll. But the creepy doll has a smile on its face now, because that's what they like to do in the WWE. They like to put smiles on people's faces. I know. I saw Raquel Gonzalez. They make her smile nonstop. But you say she's a little American girl. She's an American girl. I, I, I mean, did did they send her to treatment where she renounced the, you know, the Satanistic tendencies of her fienddom when she was vomiting black sludge and putting curses on people? And now she just happy-go-lucky skipping down the fucking strawberry fields eating an ice cream cone? What? The one episode of Dallas that Vince saw was the episode where Bobby Ewing was alive after all. He's in a shower. <laughs> and I think that's his philosophy towards booking. You were off TV, but now you're back and everything's back to normal with your doll. Well, there you go. Well, folks, this was at this point, we're about, we're almost an hour and a half, maybe a little bit better into Raw. And I know that from most of the feedback we get, if you make it an hour and a half into Raw, you are sleeping peacefully. You are blissful. You are snoring. You're sawing the logs. You're just in dreamland on a cloud. That's if you're watching Raw. But folks, Raw's not on seven nights a week, and you're going to need sleep aid on the other six at least, and that's where our friends come in from Beam and shopbeam.com. Because you don't need to, and I know some people may say, well, I have Peacock. I can watch a Raw episode any night of the week. Well, but you think about it now. Raw has gotten steadily worse, so there's only a finite uh, amount of episodes of Raw that will actually put you into a deep sleep. Once you get back several years, they might liven you up a little bit. So better to make sure that you've got all of your sleep aids under control by going to shopbeam.com. Folks, again, sleeping less than six to seven hours a night is linked to reduced white blood cell count. And if your white blood cells cannot count, then they can't keep track of the germs in your body. If they Once they get past three or four germs, they lose count, the fucking viruses run rampant in your body because the white blood cells protect our body against illnesses and diseases. They fight viruses and bacteria and mace and pepper spray. Uh, well, I don't know about that. White blood cells. Oh, they're good for you. You want to go out and start some trouble, you swig some white blood cells right before you go out. Not many people realize this either, but having a consistent nighttime routine is so important because a better tomorrow starts tonight. You should do the same things every night at the same times in order to get in a routine. You know, take your shower, lay down in bed, turn on me TV, masturbate once or twice, and then sip a nice big cup of beam, the natural sleep-promoting premium ingredients that have been triple lab-tested in beam will make you feel so refreshed. It's their best-selling healthy hot cocoa. 
And 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream. 99% of people experience better sleep quality. That's right. That's right. And the other 1% have often been found working under assumed names as high wire acts at Ringling Brothers. Let's but not say never, that. You never know what the, the effect on that 1% that this stuff is going to have on you. But hey, how many of you out there are the one percenters? Folks, again, you can find out why Forbes and the New York Times are all talking about Beam, especially the financial pages. That one executive that absconded with all that money, they found him in Saudi Arabia. Folks, if you don't love it also, you can get your money back guaranteed, just not from Beam. Don't talk to them. Go find somebody else and say, hey, give me my money back. If you look menacing enough, they will give it to you. For a limited time only, right now, get $20 off when you go to ShopBeam, that's B-E-A-M, ShopBeam.com, slash J-C-E, use the code J-C-E at checkout for $20 off and sleep like a baby. Wake up every hour, cry, and piss the bed. Well, we were beaming what happened next on Raw because it was finally time for the Cody countdown, which they got him in uh, right about at the top of the 10 o'clock hour. Amazing how these things work out for all you channel changers out there. Somebody might have stopped on Cody. Eddie, you know what? Here's the thing. It, this is the atmosphere for Cody Rhodes. He's a sports entertainer. That's it. Yes. And the entrance and the Cody countdown and the presentation for this audience. And he's, he's so well-spoken. He is right now. He's Vince McMahon's dream of a talent in that he looks good. He wears a suit. He dresses up. You can push him as a star and he goes out and he delivers verbally and he can work. But you know what I miss about wrestling? I miss instead of one guy coming out in a suit and giving a well-spoken dissertation for 15 minutes, I missed two fucking guys foaming mad, screaming at each other for two minutes in some type of entertaining and believable way, and then fucking fighting and trying to pull each other's goozle pipe out. We don't get that out of wrestling anymore. But he told the story, Cody did. He compared Seth winning his way up while he lost and scratched and reinvented his way to the top and was revolutionary. And he said, I'm never going to be the American dream, so why not embrace the nightmare? If he was like the world's ugliest person, like the lost feather-bottom cousin, and he, the sight of his face brought children to tears and made grown women scream, well, then you can embrace the nightmare, but he's not a bad-looking guy. What about him as nightmarish? Ah, that's just that's rhetorical. His booking. Well, it, it was, but now it's not. Anyway, Seth Rollins is not going to deny him his second chance, and he's going to have to kill him to do it. And he then challenges for a rematch. The third time's the charm in Hell in a Cell. Now, this might have gotten over better had they not just had one of the worst cage matches in the history of wrestling on his same fucking television program. I don't know if anybody thought about that. Maybe I was a, di a different writing crew is in charge of Seg 1 and 2 is in charge of Seg 10 or whatever. But 
So while we still had the bad taste of the cage match we just saw in our mouth, he challenges for a hell in a cell. But obviously, with Seth and Cody, their matches have been great. Not a ton of fucking heat, like people pulling out switchblades and, you know, trying to come over the rail, but they've been very excellently wrestled wrestling matches. So, of course, the first thing that Cody said at the start, did you hear this, Brian, was that Seth Rollins isn't here tonight, so I'm going to say these things. And as soon as he challenges Seth Rollins to a match, Seth Rollins appears on the screen, not from on location from Honolulu, but from the back of the fucking building that they're in. So why say he's not there if he's there? I don't... uh, so Seth, re- it was live because he reacted to everything that Cody just said. So, and then he took forever. Uh, he laughed forever. <laughs> and then he took forever to say, yes, I'll fight you in a hell in a cell. And then Cody said, then I'll see you in hell. Do you know there's a hell, Michigan? I did not. There is. They, as a matter of fact, our local Louisville weatherman, when I was a kid back in the 70s, used to give the weather in Hell, Michigan every summer when he would say, and in Louisville, Kentucky, right now, it's hotter than hell. And that was more entertaining than... <laughs> What'd you think about Cody and Seth? We're going to see it a third time. On the topic of Seth, as I said a couple weeks ago, if you go into this with the understanding that his character is on Angel Dust. It makes complete sense. So I kind of get him now. I kind of get him. I kind of get into the whole PCP wrestling thing. Cody, I don't know what it is. But as soon as he starts talking, I start laughing. And I look forward to his segments because I get such a kick out of them. It's his preposterous way of speaking. And then the words he chooses to use with his preposterous way of speaking. With that said, and I know a lot of people think I hate Cody. I don't hate Cody. I've called his bad shit bad, his good shit good, and I called everything in AEW fairly, it turns out, and correctly after the fact. But what I want to say is I agree with you. He made the right decision. Whatever caused him to have that decision, whether it was Tony Khan wanting to do something different or him wanting more, this was the place for him. He fits in perfectly. They give him bad shit. Obviously, he applies his own bad shit. But he's so with it in the ring. Like, you can't look at him and think this guy is just another actor. There's something off, but you can't figure out what exactly it is. He's really good at their style of stuff. The fact that they have a countdown clock on the show, to they've never done that for anyone, did they? Never. Did they do that for Mike Tyson? I mean, who did they do that for? Ever. (laughs) But he's been a highlight of their show, and his in-ring work has been spectacular in WWE so far. Of course, he's working with Rollins, who, no matter what you say about his character or anything else, has always been extremely talented in the ring. Yeah. Cody Rhodes is, right now, the highlight of WWE. Make that, folks, of it what you will. But he's been good. But his stuff, other than, look, the promo's not making any sense. This is not a new thing. He was doing this in AEW, rambling promos that went nowhere that you couldn't figure out what exactly his point was going to be. In this case, it turns out the point was, I beat you once, I beat you twice, 
That's not good enough. I want you in a cage. <laughs> and I'll beat you again. But Cody's doing good stuff. I, he's the one person there you can't complain about any of his stuff. And if his promos don't make any sense, they never make sense. He doesn't know what he's saying out there. And I'm telling you, close your eyes and think about Dusty's cadence, but with Cody's vocabulary. And you start hearing it. I think that's what Cody thinks about, because there's a few times he slips into it, it seems like. Anyway, well, let's slip out of it because there's more to the show. Uh, did you what did you enjoy the promo with Oscar backstage about her main event match? Did you enjoy that, Brian? You have ruined her promos for me. I'm watching the promo, and in my head I'm thinking, okay, Jim keeps saying that this is so stereotypical that this would be considered by some racist, that it's completely over the line. Inappropriate, over the line, beyond the pale. And I'm looking for ways to say, Jim, you know what? You're wrong. <laughs> You're really wrong. And I'm watching this, and there were a few moments earlier that I'm like, okay, well, I can see where. And then she just went full on like, I don't even want to do it. I can't even do an impersonation of what she did because no. I would be accused of being a racist yes. right now. But it's so ridiculous. And anybody, anybody <laughs> of any origin of any country that did that promo that she does would be accused of, of we'd be kicked off of YouTube. Because it's, I, here's what I wrote. I have no words. That's what I wrote. And the only, I'm worried Either she's going to get hit. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm worried she's going to get hemorrhoids from the the grunting and the growling and the screaming. And then after that, that's where the announcers uh, jumped in and said that uh, Banks and Naomi summarily and unprofessionally have walked out of the the building. And then speaking of unprofessional, we got Ezekiel against Gable with Otis and Steen doing color, and I'm embarrassed for everybody involved in that i'm glad kevin was able to get away from cheesy booking for a couple of million dollars a year he'll wear ballet slippers and fucking pirouette down broadway and then they had some 24 7 horseshit with the 24 7 horseshit people can i keep going yes then here comes Lacey Evans, not a pre-tape, a big introduction and a music entrance. And here she comes, and her her outfit is an homage to her military service, but I'm not sure that anybody in the military wears pants like that. I don't know that I've seen that in any foxholes, that the pants are just barely above the... They're right above the snatch line, Brian. It's where they are located. Well, she supports the military, of course, with her background. She, and she, can't, also su she can't support her pants, though. Well, she supports her ability to show everyone what she's got. That's the American way. <clears throat> well, it's a promo. It's a live in-ring promo. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, is this is, program's already been depressing enough. Is she going to depress everybody else? But no, she put all the service people in the audience over, and they're from Norfolk, or they were from, they're in Norfolk, Virginia for this show, and that's, there's a huge naval base, and a lot of service people in the Norfolk, Newport News, the whole, the Tidewater area, as they call it out there. She got the fans to stand up and chant USA. She thanked the fans for her warm, warm welcome. She recognized the service people again in the audience. She gave a 
couple of motivational speech lines, mentioned her baby girls, and told the people to wake up, work, and win. And then she left. So she's been doing the pre-tapes where she tells the her horrible, challenging childhood backstory. Then she comes out, and, and it's great to recognize the service people. It's great to recognize the kids. Great to give a motivational speech. Great to recognize the service people again. <laughs> great to thank all the fans. What the? There was not one word about I'd like to wrestle so and so, or I'm going to be doing this, or I've got a big. It was just to come out and be nice to everybody. So, I think Vince is behind this also because he loves the idea of people going out and even if there's no plausible reason for them to be there, just doing what they're supposed to do to get the reaction they're supposed to get. So they want people to cheer for her. So she said everything, but I love nuns and they cheered for her. But I don't know that she's going to be able to make that last until she actually starts talking about something to do with wrestling or her career or aspirations for sane. Well, but but she wasn't as, she didn't look as uncomfortable. I mean, it wasn't like she was out there just happy as a clam, but she didn't look as uncomfortable as the pre-tapes to me in this. It's a really weird segment. I didn't know how to think about it because it kept going and going and you can't boo her. So no one's going to boo what she's saying. Right. Like, you know, but they're also not enthusiastically going to cheer it. So it's just like, yeah, all right. She's. Ms. Well, then they were they were waiting through the thank yous and thank yous and thank yous to see what she was going to say. Then it went and all she, all she said was thank yous. Because I kept thinking as it was happening, well, this is going nowhere. I wonder where they're going to go. I wonder what the angle is going to be. And then it was nothing. And it just ended. <laughs> I don't know why they're doing any of this with her. Well, it'll be interesting to see if she gets over it. It'll be interesting to see how they use her. They have a couple of spots available right now for someone. Somebody's got to do a side by side, though, on the Twitter machine like that our cult members do often when I call attention to it, because she was the Southern Belle coming out with a parasol and frilly chiffon dresses and just doing an entrance and twirling around and going back. And now she's a baby face that comes out dressed like a sexy army stripper. And she does... <laughs> The thing where she walks out and thanks everybody and goes back. Have we ever seen her wrestle yet? I think we did when she was a Southern Belle. Yes. God, don't mind. But anyway, yeah, I, I want to see. I want to see a side by side. I want to see the Southern Belle. I want to see Scarlett O'Hara, and then fucking GI Jane or whatever. Anyway, we hope to see more of her in the future. Oh yeah. And now it was time for our main event. The rebooked main event. The winner gets Banaka or Bianca. I'm sure the winner possibly needs mouthwash. Becky Lynch versus Oscar. <sighs> Bianca was watching at ringside. I can't take, I know you say, well, watch her. She can wrestle. I can't take her seriously the way that they have her acting and screaming and screeching and the bug eyes and the lack of knowledge of of obviously fake lack of knowledge of english i'm not saying she's a Rhodes scholar and it's her native tongue but it's fake i and they have two minutes of match and go to the break and then they come back 
and she's making a big comeback, and it's all over the place, and they're going 100 miles an hour, and Oscar's screeching, and they're going back and forth. And finally, the finish of the whole thing is Becky throws Oscar into Bianca's lap and then kicks Bianca in the head. And while the referee's over talking to Bianca, saying, well, hey, how'd that feel when you just got kicked in the head? Becky grabs an, was that an umbrella? Yes. Okay, she grabbed an umbrella and went to hit Oscar. And Oscar hit the green mist in, in Becky's face perfectly. Attention, paging Malachi Black. Oscar missed Becky and hit a head kick. Boom, which looked good too. One, two, three. Becky's selling of that kick looked incredible. Well, yeah, and that's what I'm talking about with almost. It don't matter how good your shit looks from your side. If somebody don't sell it, it still looks like shit. But Oscar's kick looked good and Becky sold it great. That's the name of that tune. However, this this was on camera what, fucking seven minutes, maybe, <laughs> their big main event. And I bet you we would have had 30 minutes of the six girls if Naomi and Sasha hadn't fucking pulled a dine and dash. But, uh, <sighs> so that's that was three hours of television. And again, if anybody gets mad at me for, oh, here we go, another Japanese school girl or another goofy Japanese girl in general, in wrestling, that's what happens. A gimmick or something gets over, and then it's either done to death or prostituted or made a joke out of. The masked marvel, the first masked wrestler in the history of wrestling, drew big. Masked wrestlers drew until television came in. And then the promoters figured out, well, if we put some schlub under a mask and use him as a job guy, then we can use the same job guy three different times and only pay him once or whatever. And suddenly every masked guy was a job guy. And the guys like the destroyer and wrestling too. And, and those guys were pissed about it, but that was ruined. And then the road warriors got over. So every muscle bound jack off in every gym in the country, some promoter painted their face up and gave them spikes or pads or whatever. And then pretty soon, all the wrestling fans started rolling their eyes every time they saw any bodybuilder. And it's that way. And now, thanks to, and we'll get to AEW in a minute, thanks to especially the efforts of Twinkle Toes over in AEW to foist off the absolute dregs, bottom-of-the-barrel comedy, outlaw, mud-show Japanese girl talent along with the WWE's insistence on making everybody of any foreign denomination or background a complete blithering simpleton, then it's not just me. Sure, all the wrestling fans that love to live on the internet and can't wait for the latest fucking video from Japan where the Joshis are going for the princess title, you may know who all these people are. But the average person that might watch any of these programs, WWE, AEW, ROH, MLW, MOUSE, every time they see a Japanese female wrestler, they dress like a genie, they're microscopic, and they act like fucking morons. 
or they do stupid shit because they can't work. Because we're not even getting the best of the Japanese girls. At least in AEW, we're getting Twinkle Toes' fetish objects. So, anytime anybody wants to know why I don't give such and such a chance, it's because I've seen 18 different people dressed like such and such, look like such and such, acting like such and such, and presented like such and such. And that put me off seeing anybody else that fits those criteria. Have I enumerated that fairly succinctly and, and clearly for everybody, Brian? I think you could honestly say that there are... I'm trying to think. I'm going to get something wrong and miss someone, but you could say that there hasn't been a Japanese female wrestler presented seriously in the States in some time. Some would argue Hikaru Shida... And of course, she's the least goofy of the AEW bunch. But again, you're not entirely wrong. I mean, I hate to just label it everyone that's coming <laughs> over from there, but there haven't been too many female wrestlers from Japan treated seriously in the States on TV. Well, we don't know what happens in the privacy of their own homes, apartment buildings, or domiciles. But on TV, it's, it's brutal. But that was raw, and I'll tell you what. Folks, I've mentioned before, there's nothing that'll give you a good night's sleep like watching Raw, except for, of course, our friends that we just mentioned earlier. But if you want a good night's sleep, you got to have something to lay down on, don't you? And I'll tell you what, everybody needs to lay on a Helix sleep mattress. If you get laid on a Helix sleep mattress, you'll know you and you'll remember it, too. It'll be the finest laying down that you've ever done. And I'll tell you something else. If you get on your Helix mattress during Raw, you may not make it to the end. You might just nod off. Because while you're sitting there watching horrifying things unfold in front of your eyes that William Regal mentioned the other night, something akin to the screams of children from a burning orphanage. But then you realize, but it seems like I'm on a cloud. My aches and pains, they don't hurt. I seem to be floating. I'm getting a little dizzy. I'm lightheaded. Possibly I'm going toward a light. Yes, I'm walking right into the light. That's the last thing that you'll remember when you lay down on a Helix mattress, folks, before you go to slumberland across the river Styx and the great beyond. All you got to do is go to helixsleep.com. That's H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com, slash J-C-E, and take the two-minute sleep quiz. They're going to match you to a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. Do you want soft, medium, firm? Do you like sleep on your side, your back, your stomach? Do you like to stand on your head and cross your legs up against the headboard? However, the position that you want to be in bed, Helix has a mattress for it. And you take the two-minute quiz on your preferences and your picks. They match you up with the mattress. You order it. Boom! It gets delivered to your door. And then the unboxing happens. And you can easily put it where you want it and let it inflate right in front of you. These things are amazing. The unboxing alone. Bring the kids. Get some popcorn. They'll love it. Helix has been recommended by multiple leading chiropodists. Oh, that's chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine. 
as opposed to Slick, who was the doctor of style. But they're recommended also, they were voted the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. So they got that going for them. Folks, they got a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. And they'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. And they will actually take it out in the backyard to set fire to it right in front of you. No, they won't. Because they'll say, if you didn't like this, we're not going to sell it to anybody else. Fuck this mattress. We're going to burn it right in front of you. No, they won't. There'll be no burning of any objects on your property. Well, some local statutes may prevent that, so don't count on it. But anyway, right now, if you'd like up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows, then all you got to do is go to helixsleep.com slash J-C-E, helixsleep.com slash J-C-E. You will feel like that you are embraced in the hands of the gods on a Helix Sleep mattress. No, not oh. now. Not now. I, wait, wait. Well, I've, got, I've, got, I've actually got a Helix Sleep chair, too, and it makes my ass go to sleep. All right, well, let's wake uh, your ass up. <laughs> wake your ass up there. All right. Uh, before we go any further, what are you doing this week on the Arcadian Vanguard Network? Another fun action-packed week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcasts or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes. Everyone who has ordered a Mid-South Wrestling 1984 program, they are shipping this Tuesday. So be on the lookout for that. I'll gladly ship your program Tuesday if you'll pay me today. Did I say program? I meant calendar. Calendar. 1984 Mid-South calendar. You might have said that. I don't really listen to a lot that you say, but go ahead. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit more about some of the shows this week on Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon. Brian's guest is Manny Fernandez. Yo, boy. Hear what tales Manny has to say this week on Shut Up and Wrestle, available at suawpod.com, or look for Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Want to make note of the latest Patreon episode of Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry at patreon.com slash Bowdrin and Barry. The boys are joined by Fumi Saito. Fumi! For a fun talk about Japanese wrestling history and overall wrestling history, Check it out today, patreon.com slash Baldrin and Barry. You would think that if they wanted to know about Japanese talent, they'd go to somebody like Fumi Saito. It's been around for 30 years instead of Twinkle Toes that has odd taste. Remember, you can also search for Breaking Game with Baldrin and Barry wherever you find your favorite podcast or at baldrinpod.com. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! Go through the archive today at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mothership! <coughs> Ma'am? Thank you, Doctor. <laughs> well, an AEW blew off a stick of dynamite this past Wednesday night on, on TBS, uh, and we're going to talk about that program briefly, because... <sighs> You know, I was disappointed. This It's not often I go in wanting to like something with AEW, right? Usually, I know I'm going to like most things Punk and MJF does, and otherwise I'm just seeing what's happening. But I had I was emotionally invested in wanting to like the first match on the program, the Owen Hart Tournament, Samoa Joe, and against the Joker, 
the wild card who turned out to be John Morrison, or in this incarnation now, was calling him Johnny Elite. Because remember when he was Johnny Impact, Johnny Superstar, Johnny... They started that with him, what was it? Nitro. Uh, Johnny Nitro, the, the, years ago. As a matter of fact, to the point... Remember one time he called himself Johnny Spade? No, I don't remember that. that. That was when he first went to the WWF and they were switching his name, it seemed like, every week. And one week, this was... My God, when did he first go there? This was back in 2000... 2003, 2004, somewhere in there. Four or five-ish or whatever. Yeah. Point being, if you look at if you look at it back, they, they gave him two or three different names and then settled on whatever they were going to settle on. But we had a guy here in OVW that John Morrison had worked with named Smooth Johnny Spade. He's a local guy here, and he was pretty good talent, but he, you know... He wasn't under contract to the WWF, but we used him quite a bit. He had a job here. And point being, Morrison came back to OVW for something while they were, you know, I think it was just he was going up and making those shots and he was still living here in Louisville. But we ribbed him and told him because Johnny Spade had finished up by then and wasn't wrestling for OVW anymore. But he had called and he, we knew we, he was coming by to visit me and Danny Davis and whatever. So we told John Morrison, hey, Spade's coming. He's fucking hot. You were on national TV with his name. Who knows what he's going to do if you see him just fucking duck. And, we, and we're persecuted poor Morrison all day that Johnny Spade was going to come and fuck with him over the name. And Spade did come and we, we couldn't we couldn't keep a straight face. But anyway, his name here was Johnny Elite, and that didn't help any. And it, when I first saw this go in the ring, I said, if they don't have any plans to bring John Morrison back, then this is a great name to come on national TV and have a good match and put Samoa Joe over. If they do have plans to bring him back, then that's a horrible way to debut, and like they've debuted so many other people that they could have gotten use out of and they became losers from the start and people were into both guys because they they like Samoa Joe and they know who Johnny is and Joe manhandled him he stayed strong he did his shit Johnny didn't seem like he was all the way there it didn't click I don't, is he rusty? Has he been wrestling a lot? How long has it been since he'd been in the ring with Joe? Years? Something didn't come together. And I hate, because I like John Morrison. And he's married to uh, Frankie Monet, Taya Valkyrie, who, who we liked her also. And they they just screwed him over in the WWE, but this match didn't work. And at one point, and a lot of people caught this on Twitter, and I've I wished fuck he hadn't done it, but Johnny goes to the top rope. Joe's on the floor and Johnny has to, with both hands motion three times for Joe, move over, move over. And then he did the flip off the top flip twisting thing and still went right past him. And first thing that Johnny along with everybody else learned in OVW was don't do shit that you can't do. If, if it ain't there, don't do what you were planning to do just because you planned it. And that's what he was going to get that in. And it, Joe wasn't in the right place. And he 
he's on camera going, come here, come here, move in with his hand. I'm like, oh, fuck. You know, they, at the at the close of the thing, they kicked it up a bit. Joe hit a great shoulder tackle, and Johnny took a 720-degree bump, and Joe just looks mean, and he looks like he's manhandling you. That's why he's so refreshing in the wrestling business. But finally, the, to go home, Johnny gets out of the muscle buster and hit a Samoan drop on Samoa Joe and flipped up to his feet and went up to the top and hit 425 degrees of 450 splash. It was thunk, thunk. And got a two count and then did another flip, but Joe raised his knees and hit the muscle buster one, two, three. I felt bad for Morrison. He's better than that, and it just it didn't work. But we didn't have time to dwell on it because within seconds, here's Lethal, Sanjay, and Satnam Singe, and they jump in the ring, and Lethal's got the fake lead pipe, and they hit Joe in the arm, and three of the job guys made the save with chairs, and the heels bailed no contact. The afterbirth was rotten. But your your thoughts on this, and try to remember Johnny's a family man before you... No, 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 on. I'm not going to... I actually surprisingly liked it a lot more than you did. Well, so I've seen him be much better. Yeah, look, he's an older guy now. He hasn't been on... He hasn't been regularly doing anything for a little while. And Joe is a hard-hitting guy with a hard-hitting style. I thought Joe looked great. Yeah. Joe looks great in there. I mean, my biggest problems were the things you pointed out when you could see him on camera telling the guy to move. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to ignore that when you see it, when it's right in front of your eyes. I hate shit like that. Just do something else. You don't have to do your flip at that point. Other than that, it gives Joe a big win. Tony Khan gets a wild card with some name, and we'll see if they ever bring him back or use him again. It wasn't probably the best inaugural outing for somebody that wanted to come back. But again, their standards are lower than mine, as you just mentioned. I knew your standards were lower than mine. So, <laughs> hey. Anywho, next up, Matt and Jeff Hardy are in the back doing an interview and they got to speak for 10 seconds. So now... Inside of eight weeks after the Hardy Boys had reunited, they're not worth a live interview. They're not even worth letting talk for 30 or 45 seconds before they get interrupted. They got 10 seconds, and in came their doppelgangers, the Hardly Boys. And they're being smartasses to urge Jeff to take the night off. You're going to get hurt. Whatever the fuck. Don't fuck with Adam Cole. And Matt, Matt Hardy called... The Hardly Boys, Hardy Boy cosplayers. So, Matt, the check can come directly to Castle Cornette. But did you see in this, the Hardy Boys, the big stars, the icons, the legend, they came off as confused and or feckless nitwits because when the heels come in, the Cucamonga kids, and they're being smart asses, and Matt bows up at them verbally. They don't back up. They don't even get a serious look on their face. They smirk at him. They laugh at both of them, smirk, and then walk off and leave the Hardy standing there. So they've made the Hardys ineffective. 
if the Hardys are going to bow up and say, oh, you think so? Well, we're, that's what the people want to hear. They want to hear, we were doing this before you were, and all you've done is imitate us. And if you get in the ring with us, we're going to show you why we're the Hardy boys. And they want to see the little fucking uncircumcised pricks have a look on their face like, oh shit, maybe we've gone too far. That's what builds some intrigue, not just these two little grade school simpletons walking off with smirks on their face and everybody goes, well, yeah, I guess they will win because they're executive vice presidents and they're egotists. So, and they've already ruined the Hardys anyway. So who gives a shit? That's what they're putting in people's minds with making the Hardys look like idiots. The Hardys have looked like complete idiots since they got there. Both of them, since Matt got there and since Jeff got there, them together. This segment was a bad Raw segment. No one acknowledges the camera once the Bucks are there. The camera's just filming this weird confrontation. And like you said, the Bucks no-sell everything. And considering, as I've said, they have a lot of go-home heat right now. And the Bucks, name one time in wrestling in the last seven years where the Bucks have meant less than they do right now. This was a bad segment. Well, I, it, every day for me, if you're just talking about me personally, I could think of Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday, I'm Sunday, talking about the overall the- picture, though. I mean... Yeah, I, the, I just they've never meant anything to me, but you know what I'm saying. But you know what I'm saying? The buzz for them is just not there anymore. And I think a lot of people are fed up with it, and a lot of people also realize that a lot of the stuff in AEW that's not necessarily well-booked comes from their camp. And this is this didn't excite anyone for the match. The pay-per-view's in a, in a week? Week and a half. The pay-per-view's right? a in week. a week. A week. <laughs> the pay-per-view's well, a week, week and a half from this. Yeah, so. but I mean, uh, I don't know. This isn't for me. All righty, but next up, like Mussolini in an abortion rights or human rights t-shirt. Here comes Punk. He gets the chance. He gets the cheers, the music. He goes to the desk. And as I said, he was wearing an abortion rights or human rights t-shirt in the great state of, of Texas is where they were at. So hopefully their governor and the rest of their sorry sack of shit legislators down there saw that. He's doing color on Adam Page's match with our my new favorite wrestler. He was my new favorite wrestler. There's an update on that. Mr. Take Shitta. That you know what? You and I talked about this, and I thought, based on what you said, his name was pronounced Takashita in real life, but then it was pronounced a completely different way. I don't know how to pronounce it. It just I see it written down. It says Take Shitta. T-A-K-E-S-H-I-T-A. And you weren't as impressed with him this time as you were last time? No, I was even more impressed with him. Okay, that's what I was going to say. Good. I'll tell you what I thought about this match, and then I'll tell you what I found out. They started out hot. They had a fight. Of course, Paige got to get a dive in in the first 30 seconds. And then, (laughs) oh, I'm just going to call him Take. Old Take did a better dive right back. He got more height. He was more graceful and he landed better. And again, in this page was kind of wrestling like a heel, but not really, but you can't tell with these guys, whether they wrestle as heels or baby, they don't know how to work. They just do what they do. They don't know how to be different. There was one point where they went out to the apron to fight with each other and do some shit. And Aubrey was the referee and just stood there and stared at him and didn't even start counting, forgot to count. A couple of times she was like, you guys should come back in. But there wasn't even a count going. She's just staring at him with those 
awkward ballet poses that look like she's a fucking amputee whooping crane with only one leg, but her <laughs> arm is sticking out at the fucking side. <laughs> I don't an think. amputee whooping crane. An amputee whooping crane. It <laughs> <laughs> is awkward. Is the stances, and then they finally finished all their apron spots, and then Paige climbed up the top rope, and without looking behind him again, did a trust moonsault off the top to the floor. So again, if you're going to do something that dangerous, anything could happen. Even if he nails it all the time, it's dangerous and it's impressive. All you would have to do is look behind you to determine that the guy that you're going to dive on is still there and it wouldn't look so fucking phony and maybe teach the guy how to sell a little bit so he looks up at the last minute and doesn't just stand there with arms wide open. But anyway, Punk uh, actually created some interest on color was saying a few things about Paige and their match. My friend Take made a comeback, did another dive. They went back and forth. They did a double knockout on a double clothesline. Of course, Paige has to hit a tombstone pile driver for a two count. And then everything came to a halt at that point because they go too far and they go too long. They never know how to wind it up. But as they went into more back and forth, I started thinking, I think my boy Take is going to win. I think he's going to beat him. He hit a great German suplex and sold his own neck. Uh, he beat the shit out of Adam Page. I'm not sure how this is selling the pay-per-view. Yeah, that the world champion of this company, there's never been a weaker world champion in recorded wrestling history. And he's the main event of the pay-per-view next weekend. And this guy that we never saw until last Friday is kicking a teetotal shit out of him. But nevertheless, I was liking take. And finally, whatever they did here, Paige stops him, puts him on the top rope. And as he climbs up, take clotheslines Paige off the top rope, but Paige doesn't sell it. He backflips and lands on his feet. Even though he wouldn't be selling the bump, he would be selling the fact that this 230-pound man just clotheslined him. But nevertheless, don't let that get in the way of a cool move. He clotheslined Take and then hit the buckshot lariat and then the go-to-sleep to mock punk one, two, three. So the impressive-looking wrestler and athlete in that one was my boy Take Shitta, and Paige nearly got his ass handed to him. And I was thinking again, they want to push somebody. Instead of Wheeler Yuta, why not this fucking guy who's got a body and he looks young and he looks like he's got charisma? Or why not just push this guy in anything, right? Well, as we know, he's from DDT, the outlaw mud show promotion that Twinkle Toes gets his fucking flag at full staff for. And I've mentioned on the program last week, I'm sure somebody will send me a clip of him wrestling the fucking blow-up sex doll or whatever. Well, no, it was, a, it was a small child. So this dipshit's another fucking child wrestler. So now he's on, on the fucking banned list. Old take shitta. 
small chance that none of them that come from that company are going to be legitimate wrestlers. They've all have matches with children, blow up dolls, panda bears, inanimate objects. It's a clown show. If it wasn't, they wouldn't have suffered Twinkle Toes' presence. So I hear he's still planning to come back. We've had a break from him because of his injuries and his surgeries. He's still planning to come back, but all his still his influence is being felt with what's going on here. So, and then Punk and Page went face to face and circled each other while people chanted for Punk because people are tired of Page because he's boring. But yeah, there went take shit for me two matches and he's done. I'll start with the punk page thing. That was a little ridiculous. Page just kind of shoot him away and walked away. <laughs> that was the way the champion reacted to punk being there. Punk's facials on commentary during the match were really awesome. The fact that they were filming him while page was doing punk's move and you got to see punk talking shit to them or talking shit about page during a match was good. Yeah. I thought, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Takashita was really impressive. And a lot more impressive than Adam Page. Yeah, it's a shame. And I understand why you think. Unfortunately, as soon as I hear any wrestlers from DDT, I always immediately assume they either wrestled a child or you know, got a finger stuck in their ass during a match or wrestled a match with jock straps on their head or fucked a panda bear. I don't know what goes on with that weirdo company, but for some reason, there's some weird subsect of society over there, apparently, that likes that stuff. Well, so I've crossed him off my list. He can drop dead, turn green, or fall over for all I care. Up next, Swerve and Keith Lee took on the workhorsemen. <laughs> it didn't last long. I bet you can predict who won. But there was a promo afterwards. Keith Lee, I swear to God, he said these exact words in this exact way. I have some wonderful news. He sang. He sang the promo. I have some wonderful news. And his statement was, he claimed that with that win over the workhorseman, one guy with a Sputnik Monroe bleach job and the other guy's gray-haired and fat, that that accomplished for Swerve and Keith Lee that they are now a top five tag team with that win. That's what he said, wasn't it? That was what he said. Again, we don't watch YouTube, so we don't know how many dozens of matches they've won there. I do want to say, you know, we've talked about Keith Lee and Adam Cole and guys that came off NXT that don't appear to be as big as stars as they were there or not working the way they seem to be working there. I want to say, I think Swerve, it's the opposite. I never cared about him in NXT at all. He just seemed like another guy there. And here, he shows personality. He shows more in the ring here than he did there, but that's not surprising. <laughs> One of my big takeaways, I mean, Keith Lee, it's bizarre, but this is his thing, the way he talks. We'll see how he is in the ring going forward, but I've been impressed with Swerve Strickland so far in AEW. I think he has something. Truthfully, I was, eh, but with this promo, um, it kind of got to me a little bit. Well, first of all, Keith and Swerve do their thing. Here comes Hobbs and Starks, and Hobbs calls 
called whether the Keith Lee Rex from Toy Story or was it Sword, whichever. Anyway, Starks picked up the energy immensely on this thing when he came out. And then that's when Swerve got over with me was when he jumped in and told Starks, don't come out here looking like a bar of soap with a pearl necklace. That was fucking hot. But then before they can really do anything, because again, Keith Lee and Swerve, they talked for 30 seconds and here comes Hobbs and Starks and they get 30 seconds in. And then Baltimore music. I, I feel like the lyrics should be, oh, no, 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 no more of them. Nothing else gets said before here comes the tag team champions, Jungle Boy and Dino Douche, with Christian Cage, who has to speak for the champions because neither one of them could say Suey if the Hogs had him. And Cage's thing is, we're the best. And he challenges both teams for a three-way at the pay-per-view. Oh, fucking hell. Well, at least there's something we can skip. Let me ask you a question. How smart is it for the champions of anything to say, you know what, we'll just fight any two of you people for our championship. Why would, that's supposed to, the, the champion should not want to fight multiple people at the same time. That well, should be something that they're forced to do to take up for their honor or whatever. Well, the other thing is if Hobbs pins keith lee do they win the match and the titles well sure because nobody understands what the fucking rules of these goddamn abortions are so yeah so christian cage the manager of the tag team champions just challenged two other teams to a match where they can lose their belts even if they don't get beat so he's a fucking genius in booking um and hey, then hey, K well, well go ahead i just want to say one other thing We've raved about Hobbs for a while. Starks. From the moment Starks comes out there, he's on. He doesn't break at all. He's into everything he's doing. He's good on the mic. He always wears something that makes you go, oh, this guy's a heel. I'm really high on Ricky Starks. But you know what they're not doing? They're not letting Hobbs be a part of that. He's standing there. He's making faces. But as, as glib as Starks is, remember New Jack and Mustafa? where New Jack would do almost all the talking, but he would turn every once in a while to Mustafa, and Mustafa would make those faces and and do Mustafa things, right? And he would it would bring him in. He'd be a part of it. That guy's crazy. He don't have to say shit. I know he's fucking nuts. All Starks has to do is bring Hobbs in to say four words and look bad and mean doing it, and he'd be involved in it. But just standing there, he's he's like the flunky sidekick. And Hobbs is going to be a star one of these days, especially if he gets out of AEW. Uh, but if Cage also wants a three-way next week on television with Swerve versus Jungle Boy versus Starks. So at that point, I wasn't going to argue it's something else I can skip because as we've mentioned, I don't care if it's Luthez, Carl Gotch, and fucking Strangler Lewis, you can't have a good three-way. Not anymore because there's no rules and there's no logic and there's no sense. So there's two skippable matches. If Christian Cage was my manager, I believe I'd ask him to fucking stop putting me in these goddamn unwinnable situations. Uh, did you see Chris Statlander and Red Velvet are going to fight? 
and they recited some lines to each other, and Jane Cargill and her whole entourage came in so Jane could say the word shit on television. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened. Was there another reason for that? No, it appears Chris Statlander also dropped the alien gimmick. Well, and she dropped the bottle of peroxide that she was doing her hair with, too, so maybe she'll be a normal human now. She's been gone for a while. Maybe we can forget she was spawned in the Andromeda Galaxy. All righty. The, the, the segment that we all usually wait for, MJF and the big whipping of Wardlow. These are the things he has to go through, right? He's got to be whipped 10 times with the leather strap. He's got to wrestle Sean Spears in a cage with MJF as referee. He can't touch MJF before the match at the pay-per-view or elsewise. Not only is the match off, and he doesn't get his revenge on MJF, but also he can never sign a contract with AEW. And again, just from the start, it's like a whole, you can now, you can tell the difference in, it seems to me, the sound of the people. Now, the New York crowd obviously is an aberration for MJF. And maybe even the the more metropolitan crowds or cosmopolitan crowds or the bigger cities of the, the Northeast or the Midwest, Chicago, they might kind of, they cheer MJF and sometimes they boo him, but they have fun booing him. But over the past couple of weeks, and especially here in Texas, are you hearing that more people are booing MJF and it's starting to sound like they more mean it? He's getting some fucking reaction. I I just, I hear a different tone from the people when he's around doing that. Like when he, when he tries to say the words Houston, Texas and can't get it out because he's retching and about to vomit. They don't like that. Anyway, um, and the people started chanting, shut the fuck up while he was trying to lay down the premise and everything. So regardless of whether they're working with him, regardless whether they're really starting, he's really starting to get under their skin he's getting a more heelish reaction than anybody else on the program because he's the only one that you can honestly sit down and say, that's a fucking heel. And he might kind of actually think like he talks. The rest of them are all playing a part, but that guy, he could be a fucking asshole. I can see that. I think that's the attribute that MJF has that, that nobody else can pull off is people are not really sure. He might be a talented guy and also an asshole, but he's doing a great job. And Wardlow's over. Did you hear the fans chanting? And and obviously that wasn't a long walk with security by happenstance. They wanted the Goldberg reaction, but the people are chanting Wardlow, Wardlow like Goldberg. But thankfully he's 30 years younger. That's what Tony Khan wants. Um, and yeah, (laughs) I can't say anything about that. Those pesky NDAs. As soon as Wardlow gets in the ring, MJF spits right in his face. What a fucking asshole. I liked, this is the first time that there's ever been a whipping angle done where the guy being whipped didn't sell any of them and it added to it. Because normally you still got to sell, right? No matter how big and bad you are to get the deal over. This heel is making you suffer. This heel is making you, causing you pain. It's, it's, it's demeaning. But in this case, 
with all the shit that MJF has done for it to backfire and for Wardlow. And I tell you, MJF knows how to whip with the belt and it made a nice noise, but still that ain't comfortable. And Wardlow with his back turned couldn't see it coming. So he was pretty well just having to eat those and not even blink. So he didn't sell the first one. He didn't sell the second one. And then MJF gets fucking pissed and just flips out and starts windmilling him. Three, four, five, six, seven, and Spears grabs him like, no, 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 you're wasting them all. Slow down here. So Spears goes number eight, and he doesn't sell it. And then Spears does number nine, and that's he registers. He bends over and he stands back up, but that one got him. And then finally, MJF is going to go for number 10. And of course, Wardlow's still handcuffed, but still after number 10, generally that's when the babyface then makes a desperate lunge for the heel, right? So when MJF goes for number 10 while he's behind him, he draws the belt back and then he just hauls off and football kicks Wardlow in the crotch from behind. Down he goes, a ball shot, and boom, and they get on him and they start whipping him and kicking him, and MJF puts the diamond ring on, and Spears holds him, and he nails him with the diamond ring, and then Spears gives him a fucking modified Death Valley driver, as the kids say, and MJF counted to three, because he's going to be the referee next week. For AEW, this was heat, and it was very good, because everybody was in a place they needed to be and presented the way they need to be presented. And now the people know that Wardlow wants to get even next week and he's going to dismantle Sean Spears and it ain't going to be that easy for MJF to fucking, you know, make the uh, the goddamn count when it's a match and he's not handcuffed and all that. It, it left everybody with the right impression is what I'm saying. What'd you think? I thought it was really good. Obviously the fact that they did it in an unexpected way was a nice nice change. You don't know where it's going to go. You don't know what's going to happen. When he finally sold, when Spears hit him, it almost like it went across and got him in the neck. That was good right at the end. That's the first time that I whipped wrestling too in Louisiana because I'd never whipped anybody before. Mine wrapped around and got him in the side of the neck. And he looked back and he said, if you get me with another one of those, I'm coming after you. But yeah. They can't go awry. They've done a great job of making people really excited to see this match. Well, and also Wardlow, they got heat on Wardlow without burying him for being a big, strong, badass giant, if you will, because anybody could have gone down under those circumstances. And it just, it that's that's the thing. If you've got a big, kick-ass baby face, you can't have him sell just any old shit. And you can't have him just overpowered and down and have the shit kicked out of him unless it's in some way that the people can rationalize that could have happened that those no good son of a bitches that's the only way they could have got him i hope they don't i hope they don't fuck up wardlow they got someone there who could be the biggest star in the company well now wait a minute now old punk and mjf might have an issue with that because they're gonna be the biggest star in the punk is the biggest star in the company (laughs) mjf's one of them and mjf could certainly be as long as he wants to stay there but wardlow as far as being a big baby face star he could be a bigger star than everyone they have well just remember that tony in case that things don't work out in 2024 you got wardlow in your back pocket his contract comes up too Uh uh-oh 
You know Vince. You know Vince sees him. That's the one guy in AEW he's gonna want, other than Billy Gunn. That's the one guy in AEW <laughs> he's gonna want. I know they've already seen him. I'm sure. I'm sure they've already seen him. Uh, next, we had a question to be answered. The match between Kyle O'Reilly and Felix. The question is, can Kyle O'Reilly get a decent match out of Felix? And the answer to me was, eh, not really, but it wasn't as bad as normal. It looked like an MMA fighter and a ballroom dancer trying to meet in the middle doing gymnastics. I mean, I, I just, I just can't do Felix or his brother. But finally, O'Reilly tapped him out with an arm bar, so we get in the tournament Samoa Joe versus Kyle O'Reilly, and that will be fantastic. But what did uh, what did you think about Felix's lightning-like reflexes in this match? Well, one of my big takeaways was the excitement for O'Reilly versus Joe. There you go. I can't wait <laughs> to see that. You know what? I've always liked Ray Phoenix more than you, but it's uncomfortable now. Every time he lands and I see him put his arm down, I'm, I mean, I saw his arm snap in half yeah. from the landing. So it's it's one of those things I get a little queasy when I watch him land and I watch him put his arm down in front of him or behind him. But I thought it was all right. I think O'Reilly, out of all those guys, makes it look like it's a competition, even if he's working with someone who's flying all over the place no matter what. I thought it was all right. Yeah, I mean, this was good for Felix because normally everybody wants to fucking do the gymnastics with him. And, and this time, Kyle said, I'm going to do my shit. And he did enough of Felix's, I guess, that he didn't feel left out. But you're right. Kyle tries to make it look like it's a, a contest. It's a match. It's a fight. It's whatever. And that's what Joe did earlier. So the idea of yeah. those two guys having a match, that's the one match actually. I'm excited to see that match. <laughs> oh, but then put your excitement away. Because then here comes Regal and Danielson and Moxley and Kingston and Santana and Ortiz and the Jericho Appreciation Society. There's five of them, right? Hager and Mac Daddy Daddy Mac and uh, Garcia and the other 2.0 fellow and Julio. And Julio. So the baby faces are in the ring. The Jericho appreciators are on the stage. And this took forever. And this killed the show. Oh, yeah. And Jericho, he blames Regal for the attack on them. And then he started talking to Regal. And they're trying to make the pointed comments. He, he called Regal a world-class addict. He's fired from everywhere. He's weaseled his way into AEW on the backs of his protégés. And he knocked Kingston and he knocked Danielson. And here's the, they all just stand there in the ring and listen politely. While the heel is, it's it's one thing if you're going back and forth for a few minutes, and and there's the ability to speak back and forth without throwing the other guy off, right? I've done a few of those. Lawler was a master at it. You have an argument with somebody, the other person doesn't stand there for three, four, five minutes and let you just vent your spleen. It's back and forth. The problem becomes when you have guys that get rattled and or lose their place. And there wasn't a great narrative in this to begin with. But the baby faces listen, even Moxley. 
a polite listener while Jericho tears him apart that went forever. And then Regal, and I love William Regal. And but he's not being, I don't think, used to the best of his abilities here. But he responded and he's it took him a while, but he said for 21 years, what's kept him going every night that he was anywhere Jericho was, he would go sneak in Jericho's bag, get his toothbrush, and shove it up his ass. <sighs> so meanwhile. Jericho then challenges them to a football field fuckery match. And Moxley immediately says, I ain't doing that shit. Thank God. The first thing he's ever said I've agreed with or admired him for. And then Moxley says, well, how about you five versus us five? Now, here's the thing. I counted the people involved. Counting Regal, there was six in the ring, but where was Yuta? Yuta was nowhere to be found. So if Yuta's gone, then they've got a five-man team. But if Yuta's still there, then somebody's got to be the odd person out because Regal ain't wrestling. So the, he, the baby faces have the heels outnumbered in this instance. But Jericho says, okay, but he doesn't mind taking that match because all the baby faces hate each other and they probably won't be able to get along. And I had just written in block print, capital letters, this will not end when Eddie Kingston said, okay, let's hurry this up. <laughs> I got to think a floor director was in a corner somewhere screaming at somebody in the ring, please, somebody shut this motherfucker up. They knew how bad it was. They knew how bad it was in the moment. So Eddie says, get in the ring and fight, bitches. And then Jericho and the appreciators walk off. And then Kingston and Danielson, apropos of nothing, start shoving each other. Except the thing with Kingston went toward like he was going to get out of the ring and Danielson's there and Danielson just holds him back like, no, don't do that. Well, shove, shove. So what was this thing? 15, 20 minutes? It went forever. It went forever. And too many of the Chris Jericho segments do because Tony Khan is willing to indulge in all of Chris Jericho's bad wrestling ideas. It's one of Tony Khan's biggest faults as a booker, his inability to stop Chris Jericho from ruining shows with bad segments that fit in on Raw 10 years ago. This was bad. It was hokey. The big laugh I had was when Jericho points out, he goes, I burned your face, Eddie Kingston, and you couldn't take care of your family. And then they show Kingston. There's no burn mark. There's yeah, nothing. Yeah, this, the video showed that he set fire to the top of Kingston's head. Unless Kingston was grooming a comb over, there was no fucking problem. Every time they showed Kingston, he was shrugging or looking bored. Kingston was all of us during this <laughs> segment. Jericho and his guys are just doing bad material, and it's lame, and the toothbrush thing is stupid. He's talking about Regal not being used to the best of his ability. Brian Danielson's a fucking neon sign standing yes. there, saying nothing, doing nothing. He didn't even speak. And Moxley's always ridiculous because he's, it's always just, it just never feels real from him, for me. As soon as he gets on the mic, it just always feels so contrived. And now at least they're putting them all in one big thing together so they could all share Jericho's bad ideas together. But this was terrible. And it didn't just kill the show to people who care about good quality of wrestling. It killed the show to the viewers too, because. Well, now hold on, because there <laughs> may be a second shooter. 
<laughs> Are you saying it's not Chris Jericho? He's have, have we checked the grassy knoll? <laughs> um, because there was a double whammy that occurred here at this point in time. And I know you have the ratings for this program. We're going to peruse those in a minute. But following this interminable march through misery was another Owen Hart tournament match, the female division with Britt Baker taking on her own Joker. And this blew up Twitter. And the majority of people that were on Twitter talking about this were asking me what I was thinking about it or saying they couldn't wait to hear me talk about it. The world is no longer safe for democracy. The skirt, the plague has landed again. We didn't close off our borders to the real pestilence, to the real menace. Britt Baker, the whether she's champion or not, she's the top female star in AEW, had to wrestle the Owen Hart tournament match against the returning Maki Tito. Maki Tito. Yeah, that's why I said Maki Tito. The queen of shit and piss, self-proclaimed, by the way, I might add, folks. For the new listeners who are going, what the fuck is he saying? She tweeted a picture of herself last year, anointing herself the queen of piss and shit. I think what it is, and she's got a potty mouth in English, apparently a lot of the perverts that populate that world of these child pro wrestlers in Japan that they change from either schoolgirls or singing idols to wrestlers and dress them up in these costumes and parade them out in the parody promotions like that Twinkle Toes works with, DDT. I think that that somehow there's the, they have the 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 body secretion fetishes over there too. And when they can combine them, so here's this innocent little young girl, very undersized, very young looking in the face, dressed up like a schoolgirl. She used to be a pop idol. Now she gets in the ring and wrestles outlaw matches with this comedy promotion. And I've also seen at least one or two pictures of her smeared in chocolate, which was one of them that accompanied the queen of shit designation that she gave herself. So is she doing, I would, I would have thought she would have moved to Germany to do the, uh, the Shiza videos or whatever, but they're strange is what I'm saying. So she's back now. This is the contribution of Twinkle Toes McFingerbang, everybody's favorite wrestling artist, Kenny Olivier, to the upstart nationally televised opponent of Vince McMahon is to bring a joke. A joke. At the expense of flying a joke from Japan. An untasteful joke that makes fun of their own business. Brian, why are they making fun of their own business? And here's the thing. With old Maki Tito, the uh, the argument can't even be made that old Cornette just hates all Japanese girl wrestlers. Well, Oscar's good, and Hikaru Shida's good, and this other one's good, and that other, nobody thinks 
that Maki Tito is a good girl wrestler or even a wrestler, period. It's a joke. She's not trying to be real. She couldn't be if she wanted to be, but fortunately, she's not trying. This is all satire. It's comedy. And so my question is, why do you, in an Owen Hart tournament, trying to bring attention to his found charitable foundation, or the one that M Martha started in his name, with your top female star on your roster, on your own television program, why are you trying to make your own talent look bad, your own tournament look bad? You, why are you trying to make your own business look bad? Why are you trying to make mockery of your own line of work to the fans who are watching your program? And you want them to think, well, we think this is all a big hoot. What? It's a joke that wasn't funny to begin with. And once you've seen it once, her bad singing and her dancing and pointing or whatever. Not only does this match bury Britt Baker, it buries the television program, it buries the Owen Hart tournament, it makes the entire company look like shit, it, it killed the TV ratings, the match went through a break. The fans in the building were like, what the fuck? So why would you do this just to humor Kenny Olivier in the bizarre interests he has that nobody else shares and never is going to in this country? Why would you do this, Brian? I would assume Tony Khan likes this. That this you is something Tony Khan approves of. Tony Khan, the one thing about Tony Khan, we know he's a mark. He's been watching wrestling since he was a kid. He booked in his basement. He watched tapes and VHSs. When would Tony Khan have ever seen anything? There was never anything like this. It, was, it wasn't allowed. So when would he have ever seen anything like this to say, well, this is, this is good wrestling. This would help my program. Well, Tony Khan did watch a lot of tapes, and he likes all sorts of wrestling, whether it's old school or modern wrestling or hardcore wrestling or even he don't satirical have wrestling. Like he this. don't have the balls to tell Twinkle Toes, you fucked up my show enough, you're fucking up my video game, you've made a joke out of my women's division, and you need to get your ass back to fucking the Budokan, where people appreciate whatever the fuck it is you do, because I got real stars now. That's what he needs to say to him, but he won't, because he has no guts. Well, he also doesn't want another guy burying him to everyone he talks to. Seems like it's happening a lot lately with guys who, who gives a want. shit. Who gives a shit? If you own the company and you got a billion dollars, who gives a shit if people bury you? For fuck's sake. Tell, bring a hundred of them with shovels. See what I care if I got a billion dollars. He needs to stand up for his shit and for the employees that he's got that he's got that are actually talented and trying. So anyway, now that we've got to that point in the show, Brian, read us the ratings up to that that period of time between the Jericho appreciators and Maki Tito. Maki Ito? I'm not sure where this is. I don't care what she eats. She doesn't well, why like why Maki much. Tito? It makes no sense. Why Maki Tito? Because I'm thinking that she'd done better as one of the Jacksons. Well, Maki Ito, uh, that was... Okay, Maki Germain. Maki Ito. Maki Marlowe. Okay, goddammit. 
That was the second to last segment. Rocky Randy. All right. Well, Rebby, let's get a the Rocky ratings Rebby. overall. Good. What was her? See, only, now you got me doing this shit. What was her only top 40 hit? Rebby Jackson. Oh, no, I don't know. No one cares about Rebby Jackson. Centipede. How do you know that? Because I have the picture sleeve on the 45. Why do you have that 45? Because I got every 45 that had a picture sleeve because I love those things. All right. Well, we found Rebby Jackson's fan. <laughs> Overall, Dynamite did 922,000. Now let's go to the quarterly breakdowns. These are from Brandon Thurston on Twitter, at Brandon Thurston. The show opened 984,000 viewers for Samoa Joe versus Johnny Elite. Yep. Dropped down to 959,000 viewers for the Young Bucks-Hardy Boys confrontation and Adam Page versus Takashita. Okay. The next segment, segment three, 985,000 viewers. Back up. Back up for the final three minutes of the page match and the confrontation with Punk, as well as Keith Lee and Swerve versus the Work Horksman, Work Horksman, the Work Horseman, and their confrontation with the Jungle Friends and uh, Starks and Hobbs. The Jungle Friends. Then, segment four, the last segment of the first hour, stay steady, 983 off 985. That's for the Statlander Red Velvet confrontation and the MJF promo and the whipping of Wardlow. Yeah. After that segment, it's all downhill from here. The, oh, and we didn't even see this, the Trent Beretta-Rocky Romero promo and Kyle O'Reilly versus Ray Phoenix. I think I had to fart during that Trent promo. We went from 983 to 917. The next segment, which was the Jericho Appreciation Society disaster segment, followed by, actually, that was the whole thing. It was, it was so long, the that whole was, that, was, that was over 15 minutes. That was a segment. We went from, let me go back, 983 to 917. Now we're at 876. Ooh. And then the next segment, which is Britt Baker versus Maki Ito, and we'll talk about the second part of the segment, back up off Jericho, back up to 900. I thought that she would have run more people off than that. So you're mean to tell me that more people wanted to see Maki Tito than wanted to see Chris Jericho. But again, I'm going to do this now, even though you want to wait till the end, because I think it tells the story. <laughs> but what happened after they saw Maki Tito? The last segment of the show. So again, let's go back to the beginning. 984-959-985-983. Relatively consistent for the first hour. The second hour, 917 876 for the Jericho endless segment, 900 for Brit versus Maki Ito, and the final segment with the Serena Deeb promo that we'll talk about, Ugh. and the Adam Cole versus Jeff Hardy match, 777,000. Ouch! That's what, they lost 125,000 people over 15 minutes. And even, you know, if we're talking about the key demo, which everyone talks about for the advertisers, the last four segments, 440, 420, 423, 378. So the major drop off at the end. And I know there's other things on TV, but if you have a good wrestling show, wrestling fans watch it. Well, besides that, also, if you're 
an hour and 45 minutes into a two-hour program, unless you've seen something that you just said, fuck it, I can't take any more of this, aren't you going to wait out the last 15 minutes? Especially when it's supposed to be the main event, including one of the biggest stars in the history of wrestling over the past 20 years competing. Well, again, you talk about the way fans can be trained to think certain things. If you've been watching AEW for the last six months, wouldn't you think the last 45 minutes of the show are going to be a waste? That They're going to get everything into... Until the MJF segment. Usually it's everything up until the MJF segment, <laughs> and then it falls apart. But seriously, I, I am not surprised the last 45 minutes of the show was terrible. The Jericho segment, the Serena D promo, the Hardy match, the Maki Ito match. Well, you can't book any of that, that and think people are going to want to see any of that. And I hate to get on Serena because she's an old OVW talent and I've, I like her wrestling. But here's the thing with Maki Tito, I obviously I didn't. I stayed long enough to write down the things that I just fucking said. This is a joke. Why? Who is this for? Whatever. And then I left the room, but I forgot to hit pause. So when I came back, Serena was already talking to Dustin. And I figured, you know, I could back it up, but then I heard the tone in Serena's voice and the material. You should have backed it up. Well, this was, she's calling Dustin a failure because she's not happy that he's Thunder Rosa's mentor. Um, And I did hear her say, you know my trials and tribulations. I put breast implants in to please old perverts. And that was true. She did get the the tits to, you know, when she got up to the, all of my OVW girls were so beautiful and so talented and so nice and had regular good looking titties. And then they all went to the WWF and got plastic surgery and boob implants and everything. And they look like everybody else, but it's a wasted line in this segment. It's a great line to use. And it can have, but it's impact. a well, actually it's a great line to use to Dustin. Cause when he was gold dust, he was thinking about putting the fucking breast <laughs> implants in. But this doesn't, so she's saying when she beats Thunder Rosa, Dustin will respect her. But they were obviously running low on time because she took a while. And by the time she got to that, Thunder Rosa was starting. She was supposed to be coming out, but Serena still need to slap Dustin. So you get, you get Serena telling Dustin that when she beats Thunder Rosa, Dustin will respect her. And then here comes Thunder Rosa. And then the camera almost missed Serena slapping Dustin. And then Rosa jumps in and the girls start fighting and Dustin's trying to pull Thunder Rosa off and Thunder Rosa accidentally elbows Dustin and turns around and is like, oh my gosh, so that Serena can hit Thunder Rosa with the title belt and then steal the belt. And I'm like, what the fuck? Now we've got nine minutes by the time we get to the main event, we got nine minutes on the air for the first ever meeting between Adam Cole and fucking... Uh, Jeff Hardy and we've got nine minutes for the whole thing because they should have just cut that set they can't it, when you're doing live television and something like Jericho happens where your time is completely thrown into chaos you can't take two minutes off this two minutes off that two minutes off that you have to just make the decision I'm going to cut a segment or I'm gonna I'm gonna cut five minutes here because we just they don't have time to get started in this, and that way everything else can go mostly as I've planned. But they try to do everything and just do it quicker. So I mean, any closing comments on the ill-fated Serena Dustin confrontation? 
I've really liked Serena Deeb in the ring, but this was a disaster of a segment, and there's no good reason why it should have been out there or booked like this. There's no good reason for any of this. She just came out with a mic, just started walking out on the <laughs> runway. Tony, Tony, and just started insulting Tony Schiavone. And the fans just weren't into it. No one understood what was going on. And we've been trained to see Serena Deeb, the professor in the ring, demolishing an opponent. We haven't really had too many in-ring promos with Serena Deeb. And as was the curse with so many segments this Monday night, well, this week, on Monday night and Wednesday night, and following that Jericho segment, this went on for a very long time, and it did nothing to captivate anyone it seemed like she was building up to a match with Dustin, <laughs> but this was a really bad set. I feel bad saying it too, but it, this was a really, really bad segment. You know, Serena and Dustin might not have a bad match. They'd have the best match of anyone in the building, probably. <laughs> well, but here's something that didn't take a long time. The main event of this show, Jeff Hardy and Adam Cole. They uh, And again... They go on the air with nine minutes for the main event, but instead of doing something that would make sense for nine minutes, they gotta they gotta just go off. Adam Cole, the Hardys are coming down the ramp, coming down the entranceway. Matt goes on ahead so Jeff can bob his head a little bit, and Cole attacks Jeff on the ramp. And he's all over Jeff while Matt is standing there and watching some guy jump his brother from behind and kick shit out of him. I guess they figured out just when they found themselves there that, oh, I guess I stand here like a spare prick at the wedding. So then Adam Cole, who's attacked his opponent from behind, throws his opponent in the ring and then takes time to take off his jacket, stand there and does his bay-bay, and then gets in the ring so Jeff has time to get up and take back over. So <laughs> And then, I, did, I don't know if you saw this, because this is one of those things that I see, but it jumped out at me like I was shocked with a stun gun. I don't know that I've ever seen this on television in the United States before in any wrestling program. Did you see that Jeff Hardy gave Adam Cole a left-handed body slam? I did not even notice that, no. I... I, I I don't, that At that point, I had to say, okay, because Jeff, you know, is, we've been talking about how he kind of sells and limps and is stove up a little bit and looks like he's in pain. And I said, is he covering for an injury? Does he have a bad shoulder on that? There is, it's not a mistake you make. It's not like you just, any professional wrestler, especially one's been wrestling for 25 years, you don't just grab somebody and give them a left-handed body slam. I've never seen it before. It's not something that would be in anybody's mind to do. And I know some people are going, oh, no, I, I dare you guys go in this country, the United States, find somebody, give them somebody else a left-handed body slam, left arm through the crotch, right arm around the, the neck instead of the other way around. It's not a mistake you make just because the way somebody's standing there where you have to grab them, either he's covering for an injury or elsewise, Jeff has been taken over by the lizard people. I see no other excuse. Anyway, uh, they got some heat on, are they? He got some heat on Jeff where almost nothing happened, but they went to the break after three minutes. Here's the thing. They go on the air with the main event. With nine minutes left in the show, they've still got a fucking commercial break. 
So they go three minutes, they take a break, and they come back with four minutes left on the air. And again, I wrote 20 minutes for the Jericho segment, and the main event gets seven minutes on the air to cut Maki Tito. That way you wouldn't have been embarrassed and you just saved you a hundred and something thousand viewers. Jeff made a comeback. It looked like every indie match. I wrote, what's happened to everybody? And then the finish. Well, going into the finish. Jeff Hardy gets on the top rope and comes off with a flipping back spinny flippy thing like a flipping back spinning cannonball. Adam Cole goes for a super kick. But Brian, help me out here. Besides the fact that he completely missed him, what was he going to try to kick if he had hit what he was supposed to kick? I have no idea. There was nothing to kick. You've got a guy that's just like a cannonball into the pool tumbling at you at a high rate of speed off top rope. He just, Jeff landed in a heap in front of Adam Cole, but Adam's super kick foot went right between Jeff's legs. And I think one of Jeff's legs caught Adam's leg on the way down and tripped Adam Cole up too, because he went down also. But they never touched with a kick or an offensive move or anything. And I don't know what the plan was, what you would be kicking to counter the thing that Jeff was doing. Anyway. That's when Jeff got up and came back again and took off his shirt to reveal a giant back brace that he's wearing under his shirt. So one would wonder why he needed to take that shirt off, except that's what he does all the time. And he goes to the top and he misses a swanton and Adam Cole hits the knee one, two, three. So there was no time to this match. And at the same time, it was still too long. And... In less than eight weeks, Jeff Hardy has come in, debuted. The Hardy Boys have been reunited. They've wrestled on free television. They've had about three really substandard matches. And now they're going to go <laughs> and have a match with their cosplayers on pay-per-view after we've seen them multiple times for free and weren't anxious to see any more of what we saw because it was all rotten. So they pretty much backed this thing up as in reverse as they could to do everything that they should have done at the end, at the beginning, and vice versa. And now, for the first time in since 1998, the Hardy Boys' name means nothing in wrestling. Is that what you saw? Look, you know my feelings. I'm not a fan of Adam Cole and his work has gone downhill and I see him as more and more preposterous each and every week just because he's smaller than everyone there, not named Riho. Yet he could do all the moves and he kicks out of everything. And I mean, it's just, he's a, he's a cosplay wrestler. He's a guy doing all the things that a wrestler does. It's just that he doesn't wear a funny outfit, so you don't realize it's cosplay. But you know, no, but you know what? In Ring of Honor, he got over with the people, and he worked hard, and he was serious. In NXT, he got over with the people, he worked hard, and he was serious. Yes, it's surroundings, and it's people that he was involved with, and it's the way he was presented. But this is just, have you ever seen anybody go from being that impressive to being less impressive? 
No, um, other than maybe the Hardys. Uh, well, <laughs> I kind of don't want to see the Hardys at all anymore. When Jeff took off his shirt, I'm thinking, why would you do that? Because, you know, the, the other thing was it kind of created a muffin top, the back brace he had. Yeah, yeah, the back brace muffin top. Hey, one night, fucking, we're in the locker room in Shreveport, Mid-South Wrestling, and Butch Reed is putting on his knee wraps and his knee braces. And Butch had played football, and then, you know, he had bad knees, right? But he wrapped both the knees, and he's got the knee braces, and we're all just sitting there. Nobody's got anything to do. There's no cell phones. There's no internet. There, we're sitting in a fucking holding cell. And Dennis Condry looked up and said, Butch, you have to put anything more on them knees. It's going to look like you got polio. And <laughs> Butch wasn't fucking happy. But, ah, yeah. It looks like Jeff's being held together with bailing wire. And he's, wrestling, it, and he's wrestling like that, too. Yes. And at that point, the match was, as I said, over and still too long. And the Hardys got up to confront Cole because he got one by on him. And here comes the Cucamonga kids and the Hardys, Matt and Jeff, turned to face their doppelgangers. And here comes Adam Cole from behind. He double clotheslined both the Hardy boys like he was Road Warrior Hawk. And they went down like they were shot, but he barely touched them. So now there's the Hardy boys have gone down for a feather landing on their back. And then the Hardly boys grabbed Mad Hardy and gave him the fake knee lifts and never came anywhere near him. And here comes Darby Allen and Sting running in to save. And that's when my DVR froze because they were so hopelessly out of time. Boy, that was brutal. I just want to say what a wonderful tribute this tournament has been to Owen Hart so far. The memory of Owen oh. Hart. We got to see the Darby Allen-Jeff Hardy match where they're jumping off ladders to the floor. Maki Ito and Britt Baker give each other the middle finger. And, of course, we continued with action like this. And, you know, and, and here's the Owen. Owen would have laughed. Owen would have been entertained. Owen would have seen all the things that we saw, and Owen would have giggled, and Owen would have enjoyed it on a personal basis but then if he had seen it on television and fans actually seeing some of this stuff he would have then said you know this probably ain't gonna be real good for the business so owen would i mean he wouldn't have been cussing like me but he certainly he would have seen the humor in any of this stuff going on to honor anybody in the hart family or any quality wrestler he would have seen the humor in it because Owen had that that pixie-ish cherubic grin and, you know, you could tickle him. But he would he would have laughed at the idea that somebody put this shit on television meaning for it to actually be good or intending that it would be good. He would have died laughing. What's Adam Cole's next match? It's Joe versus O'Reilly in the tournament and Cole versus who? I can't remember. So you've got to figure we're going to get Cole versus Joe or O'Reilly in the finals. Well, I'll tell you what, Cole and O'Reilly, well, and that would be their little group also, but Cole and O'Reilly had tremendous matches when they were opposite sides from each other in Ring of Honor, when they were two, the two young lions that were uh, working with Eddie Edwards and Davey Richards and, uh, you know, those guys, and they were oh. the protégés. So they can have a great match with each other. This was the semifinal. It's Adam Cole versus the winner of O'Reilly versus Joe. Okay, well, hopefully... Well, I'd like to see Joe win the whole thing because he needs to win something and he might actually can 
I don't know, set a, set a standard that grown men wrestle in AEW. But if Cole wins it, that's sad at this point. That's just rewarding lackluster behavior. Yeah, I'm going to say it now. If Adam Cole wins that thing, the fans are going to see that for what it is. It's not been a run that's been good so far, and you can't force him down everyone's throat. You got to do something to repair him and not have him win that tournament. I hope it's not that. That'd be a mistake. <sighs> It'll probably be well. It'll probably be that. We'll find out soon enough. Did you see after they went off air, there was an incident a lot of people sent us because there's video footage. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they were taping Rampage, and but I read the recap of the Rampage television program, and they did not show this on it. So this was being taped afterwards, but whatever happened, there was a big fight. I know, imagine this, folks. Take this ride with me. I know it's hard to believe, but there was a fight of 10 or 12 different people at the ring and everything was chaos. And somehow Brian Danielson got his leg stuck in between the ramp and the apron of the ring. There's like mere inches in between. I've always said I hate those ramps anyway, and this is another one of the reasons, but also it was not constructed properly because this wouldn't have happened in the WWE or in Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto, famous ramp locations. But Danielson got his leg stuck in the fucking thing and couldn't get it out. And the fight, they put the footage up on Twitter. The fight's going on around him, and he's trying to call people's attention. He calls one of the referees over, and he's told him, my leg is fucking stuck, and I cannot get out. And at first, when I was watching it, I said, I didn't think he did it on purpose. I think the leg got stuck. And then there may be an, there may have been an element of him milking it for all it was worth afterwards. But he was stuck in there for a while. So everybody finally had to just run off. And then they had to have the referees and the doctor come down and everybody's checking on him. And they literally had some of the guys leaning into pushing the ring to try to move it just an inch away from the ramp while at the same time one of the doctors or somebody was trying to peel the ramp up from the top. I don't know if anybody was smart enough to just go underneath it because it assembles and it, you can put it together and take it apart, but they had a devil of a time trying to get Danielson's leg out from under the or out from in between the ring and the the ramp, and I've seen that, they didn't get caught, but I've seen guys have issues before when there was a two-ring battle royal. And in the territory days, they didn't just have, all of their rings weren't standard, weren't standard size, weren't standard height, weren't standard, you know, ropes in terms of how big the turnbuckles are, whatever the fuck, it was whatever ring you had. And sometimes the territories would put two rings side by side and there would be space in between the aprons where they didn't fit up right. And if you weren't careful, you'd get your foot or your arm or anything stuck in that and break something off. But I've never seen in my life anybody get stuck in between. There shouldn't be enough room. or But maybe after the end of the night of taping, enough people had taken turnbuckles over on the far side that it moved the ring a couple of inches. But I've never seen anybody get stuck like that in between the ramp and the ring, and it require assistance to get it, to get them out. And I mean, I did a spot show one night in 
was at Covington, Tennessee. I was wrestling Brandon Baxter for Randy Hales. And they had the ring right next to the stage. It was outdoors. It was at the fairgrounds. And there was a stage and the ring was set up. So we walked from the trailer we were dressing in off the stage and into the ring. And I took a bump for Brandon and rolled out to bail out on the floor and milk people a little bit. And when I rolled out, I was on that side and I rolled right off and I was, I stood up, I was in between the ring and the stage. The only thing you could see was my chest and shoulders, like nipples up. Uh, and so I milked like I was stuck there for a second and had the referee was Buddy Wayne's son. He came over and helped pull me out, but that was bizarre. And it, but at least you could see Brian as they were finally about to get him out of there. He's kind of milking it. He's making some faces. It, it was entertaining people, but uh, what is it with their their equipment in AEW? They always I've never seen anybody rip their arm open like Cash did on that turnbuckle hook. I've never seen anybody get stuck in between the ramp and the ring like Danielson did. It is I don't know where are they getting their wrestling equipment at Rings R Us or what? I can't explain it. Though Danielson leg thing was I mean I thought of you right away because you've always talked about how much you hated those ramps. Yeah. And I've never seen that happen before and I, I've scary. got a new reason for hating. I never hated them for that reason. I hated them because you can't run around the ring. They get in your way. They block camera people off. They block the chase scene off around the ring. It also, it's, it, again, when if you're getting thrown over the top rope or whatever, and you're not paying attention to where you're going, a lot of people may say, well, I'd rather be thrown over the top rope to a ramp that's level with the apron than a concrete floor, another four feet below that. Well, if you're not expecting that ramp to be there because you've got turned around and, oh shit, there's a ramp right as you're going over the top, it can change things. You got to keep an eye on that. And Brian's lucky that his fucking, it didn't tear his knee or, or snap the lower leg bone because just your body weight alone, if your leg is immobilized in something like that and it's an ungiving edge, if he'd have fallen another way, it could have been snap, crackle, and pop. And then Tony's legal team would have something to worry about because he could sue him for ending his career instead of just poisoning it by having him be a flunky for John Moxley. But we do hope that Brian is feeling better and is in fighting fit after his... Terrible accident getting his legs stuck in the ramp. Oh, fuck. In the middle of the brawl, too. It wasn't even just him walking back. Apparently, it was right in the middle of whatever yeah. the post-match brawl was. And everybody else is just... And that's what I was worried because... And he had... Because also, those fucking numb nutses, they dive, they fly, they take bumps. They're not watching where they're going. And here he is immobilized. <laughs> and somebody could fucking if not only fall on him, but potentially, if they were taking bumps on that Ramp, it may have been tightening the grip on his leg. So that, that wasn't good on anybody's part. But we're glad you're feeling better, Brian. Now start to uh, regain the, the power of speech on television so we can enjoy you again instead of standing there in the corner letting the fucking outlaw talent do all the work. 
But speaking of outlaw talent doing all the work, I've done some today. Your show is next. The drive-thru is coming up in a few days. Oh, boy. Right? Lots of oh boy. fun stuff. We'll have some games, some questions. I don't remember if we're reviewing anything or not, but there'll be <laughs> lots of other fun stuff. I may even have a revelation to make. I've, I don't know because it hadn't happened yet. But by the time that I speak to you again on the drive-thru, it may have. If it's going to happen, it will have happened, and then I can talk about it. All right. That's Otherwise than that, folks, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to bring us into your homes with the Jim Cornette experience this week. We hope you've enjoyed yourselves, at least more than you did watching these programs originally. And we'll do it again next week. And until then, for Brian, the man who's never late to work, just last, and me, Jim Cornette himself, thank you, fuck you, and bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey, Mom, I need to watch the show Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Shoot 
Columbus Sawyer Make Brock Lesnar take a Canadian destroyer Don't come in, Mom Don't come in Are you touching yourself again? No the Wi-Fi password. Mom, no. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late. Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Pay my money to watch this show. Elter says I'm in the key demo. I am 39, I'm in the key demo. I'm a single.